NFL podcast. Loves a 50-burger. And we got a couple today. Welcome to the Around the NFL podcast. Not from the Chris Wessling podcast studio, uh, but remotely across the Southland. This is Dan Hansis joined uh, with heroes Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal. Mark, you promised that you'd be back despite the COVID, and you were a man of your word. Oh, what a warrior. Yeah, what a warrior. Um, yeah, I, I, I got rid of that cough, which I thought would be unpleasant slash unrewarding to anyone listening. So that's mostly gone. So the rest of it, I mean, I feel like um, a piece of junk floating through space, Ooh, but I can do that. that so. Mmm, space junk. <laughs> we just have you on for your looks, though, Mark. That's like you I'm can just be on on, on mute and just be our our man candy. I see what you want. So, all right, we. I mean, listen, we are powering through like the NFL. I'm not feeling great right now, Greg. Completely indestructible. I mean, that guy is he even human. We've been asking that for years, and now we might have some proof. Um, but Mark and I are both here, uh, the whole gang together. And yes, week 17 is nearly in the books now. Um, and yet the regular season has one more week to go. But where we stand now, things we have some clarity after Sunday. We're going to go through all the games, as we always do, of course. But uh, we have, let's see, we have six of the eight divisions decided. So congratulations to the Bengals, Titans, Chiefs, Cowboys, Packers, Bucks, um, the AFC East and the NFC West still to be determined. And we have some playoff heat uh, right now uh, in terms of the wild cards as well, which is a lot of fun. We're going to get into all of it. And... Um, and usually, Greg, I like to have like a, a throw it to Rosenthal to give us. He was like the prototype for the Karnacki, uh, Steve Karnacki, uh, and give us all the computations. But it's does that guy even know football? I mean, I have Ow! I have questions. I he have knows questions. numbers, um, but it's fairly straightforward. The Colts beat the Jaguars next week; they get a wild card spot. Then you have the uh, Raiders and Chargers playing next week, and they better be in prime time. That's a that's a win and in. Uh, most likely Arizona is going to make it in the wild card. And then you have Philly, New Orleans and San Francisco Two of those three teams are in. Am I missing anything, Greg? No, it's I believe one of the quieter week 18s. Well, it's the only week 18 we've ever had, but it's one of the quietest. <laughs> it's also the loudest week weeks. 18 as well. Right. It's I think uh, so much was decided on Sunday in such a manner that there's not as much drama going into the final week as there could be. Uh, but that's fine. We'll still have a couple. We'll co- have a couple little things. By its nature, wouldn't an extra week of football, let's say it went 25 weeks, we'd get closer and closer to having no spicy final week scenarios. So and I, <laughs> I think and it's, just random. it's just random because of the results today, how, how it fell. But there's still some pretty good stuff. I'm, there you go, Greg, ever the company man. And Mark, I imagine, although a disappointment the Cleveland Browns eliminated from contention today, um, it didn't sound like you were looking forward to a primetime game against the Steelers uh, so much, especially in your weakened state physically. Uh, now all that, it's all just uh, watching it for fun, I guess. Uh, yeah, fun would be the key word of tomorrow night's Browns-Steelers game. But I, <laughs> I, would, I would just say that like one thing I've been saying all along is I want the teams that deserve to get in there to be there. Now, there's a couple arguments for or against some of the people still in contention but watching like Cincinnati watching some of these teams rise up I don't need Cleveland and they didn't deserve it they didn't earn it 
The Cincinnati Bengals. You can't knock out the Steelers officially on Monday night. That is kind of fun. Fine. fun. I mean, it's fun. fun. I feel like you're going to have more fun with that than I am because it's it's a dark note compared to where we were a year ago. All right. I was teed up nicely to get into the Bengals, but that's fine. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to process it and but say. But you didn't. You, by saying that, you didn't move forward. It was already ruined. It was already taken away from me, but it's okay. We're just I grinding attempted. through. I attempted. I know. You stuck, You set it up beautifully, Mark. I, I'm not point, I'm like Robert Sala in the post-game press conference. I'm not saying who did it, but everybody knows who did it. It was Mike LaFleur. <laughs> All right. Let's get to Cincinnati where... The Bengals made a statement that they are a team to be reckoned with in January. Two seconds left. This will be a 20-yard attempt from the middle of the field to send the Bengals into the postseason. Kevin Huber is ready. Catches the snap. Puts it down. The kick is on its way. It is good! The Cincinnati Bengals clinch the AFC North and prove they can beat anybody as they rally from 14 down on three separate occasions and beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, bongos right out the gate. Dan Horde and Dave Lapham with a call for WCKY and just unsolicited advice, uh, production advice to the people over at WCKW. Let's get some parabolic mics on the field. I want to hear Cincinnati going off in that spot. Evan McPherson kicked the 20-yard field goal as time ran out. The Bengals earned their first AFC North title and playoff appearance in six years with a truly wild 34-31 win over the Chiefs. Uh, This was a game where Jamar Chase set an NFL rookie record and Bengals franchise record with 266 yards receiving and three touchdowns and 11 catches. Burrow threw for 466 and four scores. This, of course, a week after Burrow threw for five, what was it, 50 or 540, something like that. So, I mean, listen, this is where we are. The Bengals rallied from three 14-point deficits against the AFC West champion Chiefs, who, Greg, by the way, had won eight straight before this game. And um, now you look at the Bengals as a team. Man, if they could beat the Chiefs in a shootout like this, they could beat anybody. They really can. They did the game plan in the second half that so many teams have tried, which is like keep the ball away from the Chiefs. It's like that's good, but you have to score touchdowns every time you have the ball. The Chiefs only got the ball three times in the second half. The the Bengals, it's not like they were playing slow, but they go five minutes. Um, they go four and a half minutes, they go six minutes on their last three drives, score on them all, and the play of the game is that third and 27 to Jamar Chase. I don't know how you leave, I think it was Charvarius Ward in single coverage against Jamar Chase on third and seven from midfield at a point when you can get off the field. It was a crazy setup. It was a great play, though, by Jamar Chase. Great recognition by Joe Burrow, and I hate always making it about the coaches. Ultimately, you need a quarterback and a receiver who can convert that play, and they did it. Uh, Tony Dungy was going nuts on as much as Tony Dungy can go nuts in any capacity, but he was he was fairly animated uh, on NBC Football Night in America pregame show. He couldn't believe the defense Kansas City stayed in, not just on that play, but throughout the game and man coverage, not giving the cornerbacks help, especially on a day where Jamar Chase went completely nuclear and you knew any time was thrown his way, it was going to be a big play. I believe there were six uh, plays of 30 plus yards by Cincinnati's offense in this game, Mark. 
Yeah, and it's you know it, it it's consistency now because we saw it a week ago. We saw it against the Steelers twice. We saw it against the Ravens in the first game, and it's kind of what got me excited about him way back when. Not me alone, but it was like the, there is no way to kind of predict what the ultimate playing power of this Bengals team is, and what you see from Burrow over the last two weeks. I get that we all agree that he's a top five quarterback right now and an MVP candidate, but. It's like w- there's no reason to think he couldn't even double or triple in what he's doing. I mean, he's unbelievable in their big playability. This has to be a Chiefs team thinking, wow, this is what we used to do to other people. Ooh. We used to put them into a fix that they could not get out of, out of mentally. And I like Zach Taylor at the end of the game in the, in the interviews. He was emotional. Uh, he said, you know, we've been through a lot. And I mean, he, he's hung on to a job status last couple of years before this year, where I'm sure that was not easy. But secondly said, we knew that we had to go go in there and go for it in tough situations. I think they've become much more aggressive than they were at other times in the season when they kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit. And I'm with them that you come out of this with this result, it, it should confirm something to everyone because whether the Chiefs are still that high watermark to beat them, it's not last year's Chiefs, but they were as hot as anyone on defense. Their offense was heating up. And the Bengals went and outclassed them. I couldn't be more impressed. And I'm actually quite happy for the Wesling clan, even though I joined the Wesleyans in locking up the wrong team in this. Ooh, yeah. We'll get to we'll get to that in a minute. I want to say one thing about Zach Taylor. I, well, I they, cannot... did, they didn't lock up the Chiefs to be kidding. I, that was me. That was me. Oh well, they, they, they were never trying to shoot. They would never yeah, do well, such a thing. Look at that. We got a double. A double. I, I cannot express Greg. to you how much I hated what Zach Taylor did at the end of the game. Fourth and inches with under a minute left in a tie game. Cincinnati decided to go for a touchdown instead of kicking the McPherson field goal. And Joe Burrow throws incomplete in the end zone. Uh, the Chiefs get flagged for illegal use of hands. Limp, now Burrow's limping on, limping on the sideline. They call on Brandon Al- Allen to uh, kneel twice. And then McPherson kick, kicks the field goal. And I just... I don't know, man. I just couldn't. I couldn't believe that they put themselves in that position. Imagine what happens there if there's no flag that goes down and the Chiefs take over and win that game. But I guess there is the other way to look at it. Again, like you have so much faith in your guys, but I, I thought that was crazy talk what they did there and they got away with it. Well, and there was a penalty the play before they went for it twice. You That's know, there was right, off, yeah, offsetting right. penalties on the Chiefs and the Bengals. <laughs> It was a it was a crazy sequence. The, you know they were Romo was wondering if that they were intentionally not trying to score on the first two plays. I didn't buy that, did which you? I didn't. I think they were yeah. trying to score, but I understood what he was saying because if ever there was a let the other team score a touchdown, that that was a possibility for Reed there. I, I actually think he made the right call because of what happened. Like you could see what happened uh, that. To still keep playing defense, but I, I agree that was a crazy situation. But it was a sign of how much more they trust their offense than their defense. Um, it, it, when you look at the like the just the box score of this game, Chiefs have ten QB hits and four sacks. The Bengals barely touched Patrick Mahomes, and yet which is the quarterback with four hundred and forty four yards? It really shows you like how good Joe Burrow is under pressure. It's not like his offensive line was playing well and he is willing to stand in there and take the hits. And Mahomes, even with a good running game today, I, I guess you can't put anything on the offense. It's asking a lot uh, to be absolutely perfect. They had like eight drives and scored thirty one points, uh, but they they weren't the explosive team. I think you you said it well there, Mark, that they they're not as an explosive as a team as the Bengals have been this year. That was one of the best games I've ever seen from a wide receiver. Jamar Chase, his ability to 
Um, just use his speed to pull away from cornerbacks and safeties that have an angle on him, his ability to make plays uh, when a receiver is draped on him in coverage, his ability to, to find a seam and then just disappear behind a secondary and take off. I mean, it was absolute dominance, and it, it does remind you again that Joe Burrow, who oh, I love this guy, this guy Joe Burrow, he's so funny, such a great leader of a franchise. He pushed for his old college teammate, uh, Jamar Chase, to be the pick, the first pick five overall in April. And now he has the, he has his guy and he's showing the whole world that as good as Panay Sewell can be, this was absolutely the right move. After the game, um, Joe Burrow, who, again, he plays with a little bit of swagger and a chip on his shoulder, uh, was soaking in the glory. Yeah, you know, I said it in the preseason. You know, I was we were talking about playoffs and I said, you know, we're going to, Goal is the playoffs, and the easiest way to do that is to win the division. And you know, got a little. Everyone kind of laughed at us a little bit, but you know, we knew the kind of team we had, the kind of guys in the locker room that we had, and we knew we could go out and do it. Mm. He's also in the locker room afterwards, doing like his LSU get the gat dance. He's he's got a cigar. It's all amazing. It's easily the high water mark of this Bengals team since they had so much hope when Carson Palmer was young going into that 2005 season playoff game. And I think right back to that season, too, Carson Palmer was the third-best quarterback in the league kind of by consensus that that year. It was Brady, Manning, Palmer. And now here we are. I think Joe Burrow is going to get some MVP votes now. He would be third in my mind. I still would have Rodgers one, assuming he finishes this out strong. I think Brady's just had a, a better season overall, and the, and the breadth of the season has to count. But I'm sure Burrow's going to get some love. But he's at least the number three quarterback. They're right back there. And Chase, you mentioned he's going to win the offensive rookie of the year because of today, if there was any doubt about it. And I think there was going into this week. He's going to win it now. It, <clears throat> sorry, it also, excuse me, that's absurd. It also shows you how <laughs> you far that out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, get rid of that. See, that's what oh, I'm talking no, about. No, it was too no wonderful. I loved it. it. Nobody needs it. Um, but, I mean, back in the preseason, like, the Burrow Chase thing was getting killed for the idea that like it's too cute to team up with your with your college wide receiver you know roommate and trying to get the team to do that when you could have had this like stalwart left tackle Burrow's knee was an issue Chase wasn't playing well back in the summer and months later it's totally transformed I do want to see if anything comes out of this Burrow injury that we saw at the end of the game look fine walking around but I don't know he it said it was fine he and said it also he wasn't it was the we'll surgically see, though, repaired knee you know. It, w- it wasn't the surgically repaired knee. That's good. The fact that he wasn't getting treated after the game and he was dancing, that was a good sign. Um, and, you know, so, speaking of signs, Greg, I think you should have taken a sign. Mark, you're off the hook on this because you weren't involved in the conversation. Uh, but uh, speaking of signs, I did give you a sign, Greg, that maybe it was time to get behind the Bengals mm. on Thursday's podcast. Let's listen in. I don't feel like this is the 85 Bears. This is not the 2000 Ravens. And I could see Burrow moving. I like a shootout here, Greg. And I like... I like the Bengals in like a 34-31 win that changes uh, the temperature in the AFC. Got the score right. Got the score right. Great (laughs) job, Dan. You don't don't get to play back a a Thursday prediction unless you get the score right. That feels like a a fair rule to follow on the show. Well, incredible work. (laughs) (laughs) This is really more for Mark because you also buried him in the lock standings with this one. Ooh, that was a good uh, one. I'm on well, a, I, you know, I, I did a bad job. I, I honestly, I wouldn't have, I would have taken an L because I completely forgot about it um, outside of going for like a Monday night thing. Dan asked, like, did you do a lock? And so sportsmanship. I, eight minutes before. Well, you also, I think, psychologically pushed me into a scenario where I was panicking looking at like 18 spreads that had 
moved into (laughs) unlockable territory by Sunday and picked this Chiefs team. And I was thinking, like, why did I do that? (laughs) Erica is shaking her head. She doesn't even get why you're throwing that at me. I I mean, it was a logical thing. They were up two. They were up two touchdowns. You know, multiple times in the game. You just got the L. You got. I have stopped seeking any form of enjoyment. (laughs) I told you that. I did go. I went from two games down to two games up in four weeks. So this believe has been me, a Dan, like you've been tweeting about it all day long. I think everyone is extremely aware. Like, oh, do I have a chance of getting the most locks in a season? Like, is this guy actually tweeting this right I now know. in live time? It is an unbelievable. What's the thing answer? The answer is no. The answer is no. Because I think the answer I is three. Last Mark, first of all, Mark, are you okay? It's just I'm the, allowed it's a to. Lock game. I just thought that the hubris was on like next. It was like next level. We get it. You're doing well in an in-house pick'em tournament. We're very excited for you. I I sir I, I just asked the question at thirteen and four. And no, it no, turns no, no, out you didn't. Greg, no, you didn't. You didn't just ask a question. That's that's a that's. that's I missed like, this. I'm so happy. Framing you as like Mister in Control guy. Like it was an absurd, uh, poor sportsmanship tweet. Anyway, uh, Greg, uh, while Mark melts down, I want to tell you. That the record is 17 wins in a season set by you, sir, last year. So I would have to, I guess, win out. But, you know, what are you going to do? But I have buried Mark, and that's good. Let us now take a break and then continue on. Tyler takes the snap. Short set. Lobs it deep near side at the one-yard line. Oh, what a catch. Antoine Wesley into the end zone for a touchdown. How did he pull that down? And how about the toss by Kyler Murray? A huge score for the Cardinals early in the third. A huge score by the Cardinals. A huge win for the Arizona Cardinals, who beat the Cowboys 25-22. Great stat, Kyler Murray now 8-0 lifetime, uh, going back to his high school days at Jarrow World. And this was a game, Greg, where you just got the feeling that the Cardinals needed the game. And the Cowboys get back into it, the touchdown, two-point conversion. Yes, there's a fumble at the end that some good luck comes the Cardinals' way because of a timeout situation with Dallas. But really, Arizona was in control of the game uh, throughout, and it felt like a game they deserved, and they got it. They did, and sometimes, you know, we, like, get so in the weeds, like, trying to analyze everything. And there was a lot in this game. The fourth down aggression from Arizona was important. The aggression to try to score at the end of the first half was important. But it was also like their playmakers made plays. Like in the biggest spots, Wesley making that catch was amazing. Kyler Murray, more than anyone, making some of his third down conversions were not as scripted. They were just him making a play. Chase Edmonds, who got hurt late in this game, and so they didn't have James Conner in the end. They didn't have Chase Edmonds at the end of this game, but he made some uh, massive plays. They never did get Rondale Moore back for this game. They're down two corners and two of their best pass rushers to injuries and COVID, and these these are new injuries. This was one of the more impressive performances in a big spot, I think, by a team all year because of what they didn't have. And Cliff Kingsbury set the tone. I think by going for it on fourth and goal, he would have been killed if they didn't get it. And Kyler Murray made a nice play on the goal line. They they, they score there. And, and like I mentioned at the end of that first half, uh, and Kyler in a big spot, that drive you mentioned, Dan, it just when it felt like maybe this thing is going to go away because it felt like they were playing uphill. 
he leads them down the field, kills the clock. Uh, it was an awesome performance and keeps them alive in the NFC West. I, I'm with you. I'm totally impressed. It didn't need to look entirely pretty. Um, I do come out of it, though, um, all credit to the Cardinals, with just lingering concerns about the nature of their offense at times. They still seem sloppy and out of it at, at points. And I'd even point to that final clock-killing drive where it started with Murray totally missing a wide-open Christian Kirk. There was, what I thought at one point, a delay of game call that should have gone against Arizona, which would have been huge, which wasn't. But then he sprinkles in an incredible run for a first down, a great throw to Zach Ertz. So it just seems to me a bit the journey with Kyler Murray and this offense is a bit of an up-and-down ship at times, but they got out of there today. So I had mentioned the, the play, uh, the fumble that wasn't, and I'll just give it a little more context. So last... Uh, a little outside the two-minute warning, and that's important here because that means it doesn't get stopped by the booth. It has to come from a challenge, and Dallas was out of timeouts, and they were out of timeouts because earlier in the game, in an obvious field goal situation, it seemed, for the Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury ran out Kyler Murray uh, at the same time as Matt Prater, and the Cowboys were confused, and they had to burn a timeout um, because they were a little out of sorts. So now they had zero timeouts, uh, and then Chase Edmonds... I think it's a play he got injured down near the sideline when the ball pops out. His knee was up. His elbows were up. Recovered by the Cowboys right before the two-minute warning. The call probably would have been overturned. Would have been Dallas's ball down three with two minutes to play. But because they couldn't stop and challenge, that was a huge setback. And just those are like those little things. But also because uh, Mike McCarthy blew it. And not because he took the timeout earlier. Because he took the timeout with about 240 to go. And that's not a second guess. Multiple game management, you know, people are like, you never, <laughs> you don't take the time out there. A, you lose your your ability to challenge, but he also didn't save as much time as he could have. So it's just these things that, that you know how they used to have the go, when to go for two note card that everyone like looked at? We need right. a note card for these coaches for like when to t- take timeouts around the two minute warning because he had to <laughs> wait it. until after it. it did, like and that and that was the, that was that's one of the reasons why it's very it's just like when, if if the Cowboys now they're a full game out, their chances of getting the one seed um, are not good at all. Obviously, now. they're done. They're done. They're done. OK, so they're meth. So think about that when they're on the road in the playoffs. Uh, you know, these things can can change seasons potentially. Uh, I, that really stood out to me as well. Right. They could be playing in L.A. If the Rams win next week, the Rams get the two seed. And now, you know, the Cowboys could be playing on the road in the divisional round, too. I, I am a little worried about Dak Prescott. Again, there was a couple decent drives late in the game, but he did not have a good game. You know, he missed a lot of throws. Just like it just was it was more on Dak, it felt like for a good chunk of this game than anyone else uh on the offense. And I'm just surprised I'm just surprised to see it. Just doesn't look sharp in, in I don't know if it's an injury or what, but he's, it's just not going where he intends it to go. And Michael Gallup suffered a torn ACL, according to Jerry Jones. They're gonna try to confirm it on a second test, but that that's a big loss for them. On too. a touchdown catch too, which yeah, is that, uh that you don't see that too often. So that's a I big also loss do not and... trust Greg Zerline. I think Greg Zerline's going to kill him in a big spot at some point here. Hmm. Yeah, it's fair. Um, All right, let's now move on. Let's head back to the AFC, a game with huge playoff ramifications. The Raiders had a chance to shock the AFC, and they did it. This will be a 33-yarder. This is for the win. Cole checks his kicker. Good hole. 
Yes, baby. Jackpot, baby. <laughs> Man, you know, we lost John Madden last week and uh, obviously a legend. Brent Musburger, also another guy that kind of, when I hear his voice, I think about what it meant to be a sports fan in the 80s, 90s. And then here's Brent Musburger in 2022 calling big <laughs> wins for the Raiders. Treasure our icons in broadcasting. Anyway, the Raiders are up to five walk-off wins this season. Five walk-off wins in one season. Latest was their biggest and most impressive. A 23-20 win over the Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium, sealed by that Daniel Carlson field goal at the gun. Three straight wins for the Raiders. All of them narrow, narrow wins. All of them against uh, AFC hopefuls. And the Raiders, as we said at the top of the show, can complete their imp- improbable journey to the playoffs with a home win over the Chargers in Week 18. Basachi a bump? I don't know what it is, but I have to say, like, I don't care what happens next week. They can lay an egg, lose 27-3. to I, I come out of the season. I don't season, know. That won't feel good. That'll make this feel like uh, like a I, bunch Listen, of I get it. What am I, say? <laughs> I guess, yeah, maybe a 27-3, that would be a bad taste in your mouth to end the season. But to win all three of these games against teams clawing for the playoffs at a time where they look completely dead. I said it myself. I was talking about them after they lost to the Chiefs. Like, they're a joke at this point. They win three in a row. And this one, I thought, was truly impressive because the Colts had been rolling, as we all know. I'm amazed. I'm amazed by this result. I guess I shouldn't be. Like the Colts putting up 262 yards of offense. It's not like Wentz's numbers were like incredibly bad, but he threw for under five bad. yards per attempt. And his big play uh, was that long touchdown that should have been intercepted to T.Y. Hilton. So that's a bad game. So we, we we've heard from many players, and there's no way we'll know, but we've heard from many players. Okay, it's great to get off the COVID list quickly, uh, but some of them aren't feeling too great. In that first game back, um, they haven't been at great shape. Wentz would not even admit that he felt poor earlier in the week, even though his own coach said that Wentz was struggling earlier in the week with COVID. So it's like, just be honest. I don't know why you can't be like honest with your with your condition you know when asked like it's become this weird thing where like i think politically like you're trying to just not even be honest but uh it's a it's a big loss uh for them if only because they're gonna have a worse seed in the playoffs assuming they win next week well it's a terrible loss and i mean they have to play next week they probably would have sat their players right i don't know Possible. I mean, the Raiders come out of this last two weeks before this game having scored 16 and 17 points, got a win in both. I, I look at Wentz, and I don't care what he answers. Like, he did not look the same to me at all, and I, I do think there's a lingering effect, and I understand why it's difficult for him to answer the question, but what a momentum killer. I mean, this team felt like, you know, and it just speaks to the nature of the AFC, the up-and-down, topsy-turvy ride that it is, that, you know, five days ago, the felt, Colts felt like the most surest thing around. And now they're gripping, they're hanging on for their life. It's funny, too, because if they take care of business next week, beat the Jaguars, they finish 10-7. and seven. The Titans obviously clinch the division. So it's going to end up in a way that this game doesn't really matter to the Colts, that they were going to be yeah, locked in. I kind of take it back. It's not that big of a game, other than they don't get the rest of But guys still, you kind of lose a little of that juice. And I think the Wentz thing, beyond any lingering issues, symptoms connected to COVID-19, um, also, he didn't practice all week. And I thought the, the turning point of this game 
um, occurred it, late in the third quarter. Um, it was a third and seven at Indy's 23. Um, it was actually the first play of the fourth quarter. And Wentz has T.Y. Hilton on a busted coverage, wide open down the left, stri- left side. If he hits Hilton in stride, he, he is a, there's a good chance he goes in um, for a touchdown. Uh, instead, he, over, he overshoots uh, Hilton, who, again, was all by himself. And mm-hmm. they kick the ball away. turns into a three and out. They kick the ball away, and the Raiders go right down the field, six plays, 62 yards, score the go-ahead touchdown. Now, Indy marched down the field on the next drive and tied it with the field goal. But that, to me, felt like the turning point. And again, when you think about the Colts and, like, the Colts, when they're locked in and Wentz is playing well or as good as any team in the league, but there's too much of this inconsistency with Wentz where you do feel like unless he gets on like an Eli Folsian type heater in January, one of these type of games is going to undo them in January. You just kind of can feel it coming. I mean, we re- we reacted as a as a collective group very positively and very with a lot of force to his performance before the previous game where he was throwing the ball as well as anyone I think it matters if you track these quarterbacks that are out with COVID that don't practice at all, all week long, and then they go play, you're going to get their debt. There's some of their most down performances. I'm not saying Mm. that I, you know, I want to go look at that scientifically, but to say that it just doesn't matter. Not, I think we're agreeing that it does like, I mean, at the most critical juncture of the year, I mean, when, no matter what happens, playoff seating wise and stuff like this was a momentum killer for the Colts. And I mean, it's like, you do question their quarterback play if they don't get a better performance. Meanwhile, uh, Kark is in a bad turnover stretch here. He had a couple interceptions here today, but they, they really have had something going in the fourth quarter. They go touchdown field goal there to win the game. Carr, you know, has held up this franchise. Like this, this was, this has been a nice season for the Derek Carr in Las Vegas and Oakland Raiders legacy. <laughs> He's like, I don't know, Ricky, you saw him in the post game press conference. There's something about him. Like, I know he's not a perfect quarterback, I think he's on the right side of the Dalton scale, uh, oh, Dalton yeah. line, but not oh, not yeah. to me too far. I think he's in that like twelve to fifteen range. Um, but I do like the confidence. Like you, he, there's a certain genuze quoi. Yeah, that's what I texted you guys. I was like, "Cars kind of hot." Like his like <laughs> swag and and everything, and he's like he's feeling himself. And I was like, "I'm kind of into it." Yeah, that dude. Uh, he he carries himself as a guy. Remember, who he's never gotten every the- week. He's never gotten to do this. He's never gotten to do this. They have one winning record, right, since 2003. And the one good season he had, he broke his leg, you know, with a couple weeks left. And so he didn't get the, like, this is the the best late season experience he's had. And he's earned it. And he's going to be in in primetime next week. I'm pretty sure they haven't announced it, as we say. But that's got to be the Sunday night game. Chargers, Raiders, come on. I like the Chargers. I like Justin Herbert. He'd be fun in the playoffs. But, like, I'd be cool with the Raiders in this crazy season doing it as well. And they have a chance. They're at home against the Chargers, a team that's not really known for stepping up in a big stop, big spot themselves. So that's going to be a really fun game to watch. And I really hope it does play out with all the, the way things kind of sort themselves out in Week 18 with a win and in, true win and in scenario, making it the first playoff game of the season. Uh, all right, let us take a break here uh, and then check in with the Tennessee Titans. Woodside. Heads to Hilliard, he's got room! 30, 20, 10, 5, in zone! Oh, Dontrell! Touchdown, Titans! Okay! Exclamation point on the day! On the day is right. How good is this field? (laughs) It has to feel good for 
Titans fans. Dontrell Hilliard goes 39 to the house. Deontay Foreman, 132 and a touch. Ryan Tannehill threw, throws two touchdown passes. That was Mike Keith, of course, and Dave McGinnis of WGFX. The Titans clinched their second straight division title with a 34-3 win over the Dolphins, whose seven-game winning streak disappeared in the face of actual opposition. And here we are. The Titans go from red-hot start to, Mark, a team that could not get out of its own way offensively, to, with one week to play, they are in position with the number one seed in the AFC. Yeah, they've... They, to me, have been a team that have stuck together through some of the most trying circumstances in the conference. Uh, Today, I thought it it was an exclamation point again for their defense that never really went away the way that their offense did. And they just wanted, I think, to show this. The weather in this game was a huge factor. And one quarterback was going to come out faring better in freezing rain, um, total downpour. And they put it to Tua. I think that their plan with Miami was to get the Dolphins into unmanageable third and long situations, which happened over and over. And Tua, maybe down in South Beach, gets you out of some of those. In this situation today, against this defense, he could not. They're the worst third down offense in the league. They looked at it this way. And to your not believing in them, Dan, this is why. Because the offense, when you don't have something perfectly happening for them, they crumbled. And I thought that you could look at some of the guys on this Titans team Deontay Foreman, I'd start with him. The way that he has run the ball over the last month and a half, but especially today, I thought he put it to Miami in a way that like, basically demoralized them. They, their defense, which looks strong out of the gate, started to crumble because, and it wasn't a huge A.J. Brown game. I think he had 40 yards in this, but Tannehill ran for a big first down. The running backs did it. You know, They had some up and down issues with their line. But Miami, to, to me, was completely outclassed and shown to be what they are, which is sort of one-dimensional. When their offense does just enough and their defense does everything else, that's fine. But they couldn't get it done today. And the Tennessee Titans are so clearly the better operation, and they knock Miami right out of the playoffs. Mm. Well, you have a small margin for error when you, when you start 1-8. You're 1-7, whatever they were. Uh, it, that's a tough spot to get in but to to lose 34 to 3 when you're, you're two similar teams I mean this is like the classic Titans game they have 300 yards they have 110 yards passing and they put up 34 I'm not saying Derrick Henry isn't extraordinarily valuable but to your point Mark like they've run the ball really well that's what they do well it's a good run blocking offensive line it works with their play action offense it works with Tannehill and they've survived without Henry like the running game was never a disaster yeah, and even with AJ Brown not having a, a big game, he's just such a he changes the way defenses have to approach the Titans and, and and opens things up for Ryan Tannehill. Julio Jones didn't play in this game, but we know that that's not a big deal at this stage. Let's bring in uh, Grave Digger. Um, Grave Digger, first of all, congratulations! I know that you uh, ride or die for your Titans, uh, and uh, this had to feel good because I did. I locked up the Titans in this game, but I certainly didn't see them rendering the Dolphins non-competitive, which really just speaks to Tennessee really turning it on here. I predicted a 13-10 win for the Titans, so I also did not see this kind of... I mean, to Greg's point, like they only had 300 yards of offense. It wasn't like they were marching up and down the field the whole game, but they just looked like the playoff team. If it was like one of these two teams could make the playoffs, the Titans are the ones that looked like the playoff team. I think they have been better coached 
They're a one and seed. Are All you got to yeah, do is beat the, the Texans, and they're they just won a playoff game. This was, you know, this was like like this, and they got to beat the te- was it the Texans next week? They got yeah. at Houston. Yeah. Mm. It could You're be tricky. Houston that, could right? be tricky there, but you should take care of business. And I just think it's such a interesting season, Grave Digger, for Tennessee. To, if they can now come all the way back around and get that number one seed, get the bye, have home field advantage. And this always felt like, and by the way, Derrick Henry then gets more time off to get right without uh, the Titans playing a game. Like if they could just survive the storm, they are set up well for the playoffs. And I know you're feeling yourself. You know how I know? Because, uh, first of all, two things. Number one, Titans fans. What I love you, Grave Digger. You know that. But why can't Titans fans understand that, that people, whether it's me or anybody else, that doubted your team uh, earlier when they were, you know, averaging 170 yards a week for about a month and a half, doubting them then isn't the same as what we see in them now. I don't know why it's like everyone's like pulling up receipts and showing that you were wrong. You doubted our – no. Because the Titans, I was a different Titans team without AJ Brown, and and that we're gone. This version of the Titans, I feel good about, and I and I like. So I don't like that element of the Titans fandom, and a lot of them have been coming out of the woodwork again. But I do like you, Gravedigger, getting after friend of the show, Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders, who he he replied to some Titans fans attacking him about his analysis this season, and Graver responds. Listen to this, Greg, because I know you and Schatz are tight. Are you tight? You know each other. Yeah, okay. We whatever. know each other going way back. All right. I mean, give me a break, dude, Graver says. Just admit your system didn't predict anything accurately, and we'd have a lot more respect for you. Well, Bunsen burner, blowtorch, baby. Here's the thing. All season long, since Whoa. the beginning of the season, he's been tweeting about the Titans, and he never has any good things to say about the Titans. They like don't measure up well in DVOA and all these other things. So it's constantly like the Titans are defying DVOA, not like, Hmm, maybe we should really look at how DVOA is used to assess teams. Or maybe like when injuries happen, like there should be a caveat to like the DVOA rings. Like this isn't their starting 11 on either side of the ball for the majority of the middle part of the season. Right. But it's never like, Oh, wow, the Titans are impressing us. They're playing better than we expected. It's like, this is the worst DVOA-rated team to ever be in the one seed, and they suck. It's like... Although you did like... quote tweet something, I was like, oh, you got him. And then I looked, and the tweet was from September 8th. So I was like, oh, well. Yeah, well, he was doing his little, like, <laughs> I mean... the Titans' defense is not going to improve this year. And in, he's never said, like, wow, this is this is surprising. The Titans' defense has improved way beyond what we predicted. It's like... We never said that. We said the Patriots' D would improve more than the Titans' well, D. Well, let's just like, say no, this, you didn't say that. The, the Titans' discourse in in general is fairly annoying, okay? Um, yes. <laughs> but at the same time, like, Titans fans who are looking like get even with people that doubt their team, screw it. Why, you have better things to do. You have a locked and loaded oh. team that is ready for the playoffs right now. And you're going to have more because everyone, you know, when the Titans get that one seed – the conversation for two weeks is going to be like, ooh, which lucky team can angle to get, get that divisional round uh, matchup against the Titans because no one's going to want to go to Kansas City or Buffalo. You know, pe- people are going to be talking about the playoff tournament as if, like, that's that's the nice place you to see, go. I don't see so it it's coming way. more. I don't it's know, coming- because Derek Henry will be back by then, and people, I think, for a lot of people who are down in Tennessee, that, that will be, like, the reinforcement that – really puts them in the in a higher class. That's just the way I see it, but maybe they have right. something numbers can't measure. And I think that's 
what's great about football. Like they really are more than the sum of their parts. The fact that they've played more players than in any team in the history of the NFL is remarkable. They are so mm-hmm. obviously more than the sum of their parts when you watch them week, week in, week out. I would say Mike Vrabel doesn't get the credit he's deserved if, if Titans fans are annoyed about that because I think he doesn't fit the pristine sort of shiny boy mathematical um, you know, wonk head image that everyone's after these days. Like he's just sort of a bro, but sometimes that works. And he, he clearly knows how to go week to week with different matchups. And as for fans coming at any of us, I mean, the Titans have been disrespected for a really long time. They could be more level-headed about it, I guess, but I think half of them are probably, you know, it's East coast. It's, they came out of a terrible rain. They're probably tweeting with like seven beers in them and they may not have their wits about them in terms of where they're sending their arrows. I mean, we've got, our own, uh, you know, producer head shooting arrows at, at a friend of the show. So everyone's Jesse. losing their cool, baby. <laughs> All right. Well, that's fair enough. All right. Congratulations, Grave Digger. Thank you. All right. Let's take, uh, let's, uh, no, let's not take a break. Let's keep moving. Let's bring Nick Shook into the show. Shooky, we go from Grave Digger to the pipe. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm Despite, um, the general despondence where I'm located, I'm great. Oh, mm. uh, yeah. Okay, well, well, how are you, brother? Yeah, the Browns eliminated from contention. But I know, like Mark, you were um, frustrated by this season, uh, an outcome you probably saw coming, a negative outcome for the season, that is. Yeah, I mean, Mark said it best last week. It's not deserved. You know, if they were to try to make the playoffs and, and you know, the Bengals were to lose and, you know, because the Ravens lost, and if they were to beat the Bengals somehow next week, it's still not deserved. So this is the outcome that they deserve, that – they screwed around for a lot of the season, never really found any consistency, and that's how you get eliminated from the playoffs. And, and you know, I, allow me to be a beacon of hope for the, the city of Cleveland real quick. I'm wearing <laughs> this on purpose because everybody here is going to turn their attention to the other team. It's, it's, it's an all-star game. Uh, Got everybody. it. But they're going to turn their attention to the promising team, the team that's overachieving, not the team that is disappointing. You're wearing a Cavaliers shirt, you know, for our audio listeners, which is yeah, all of our yeah, listeners. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Basically. So it's cap so, season now. There, there's Beacon, something Beacon else for strong, to be happy but, about. Okay. You know, How about those Guardians? I would, right. Maybe. I was texting yeah. with Shook about Darius Garland some Tuesday night a few weeks ago. This yeah, guy can good. really play. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to do these games, then we're going to get Shook's take on the Cleveland Indians name change. But let's get to... <laughs> A little Chargers football. They needed to take care of business against the beat-up Broncos team, did they? Throws downfield. There's your shot play. Mike Williams caught into the end zone. Touchdown, Chargers. A record-breaking throw from Justin Herbert. 35th touchdown toss of the season is now a franchise record. And why not go to Mike Williams? who has got more 40-plus-yard touchdown catches this season than any other receiver. How about that? Matt Money Smith, the voice of God for the Around the NFL podcast and the Power Rankings TV show co-host with a nailed-it call, Justin Herbert. He set the rookie touchdown record in year one. He sets the franchise record in year two. What happens in year three? We'll see. But for now, the Chargers are still in the playoff mix after a 34-13 win over the Broncos at SoFi. A great take-care-of-business game right here, Nick Shook, for a Chargers team that stubbed their toe in exactly this type of game so many times in the past. Yeah, and stubbed their toe in the last couple of weeks with a stunning, disappointing loss to the Texans that 
kind of threw everything into question, but they responded like a team that you would, you know, a playoff team, you'd expect them to respond by coming out, like you said, taking care of business. So the Broncos were shorthanded. You know, they had a dozen guys out because of COVID and Drew Locke's playing quarterback. And even he had to exit for a little bit because of a shoulder issue. And you give him credit for coming back. But, um, you know, that aside, the, the Chargers largely dominated this game. They did it offensively. It was really a complete team win because they did a good enough job defensively to allow their offense to build a lead. They took a 17 to nothing lead right before the half and ended up going to halftime 17 to three. And it was never really in question. They got a couple of um, goal line stops or, or holds that limited the Broncos chances of turning those possessions into touchdowns. And they cruised to a victory and set themselves up with a date with the Raiders. And if they play like they did today, then they got a good shot, but the Raiders are better than the mm. Broncos. But for this week, at least, you know, they're, they're back to the chargers that I think we expected. The question now is, can they be, can they maintain that consistency into a must win game next week? I mean, I feel like the Broncos season was defined by <laughs> those fourth, fourth in goal plays here in this game. Like when you have Kendall Hendon completing a pass to Drew Locke on fourth and goal that from the one or the two that doesn't go for a touchdown, you know, it's probably not <laughs> Wait, your what? when it, Kendall Hinton came in. What was that? Like a Philly special type of Basically, thing. And yeah. Then, yeah. And then he throws it to Locke, who catches it, but he wasn't in the end. Does zone. anybody want it? Now that I'm looking at the box score, that was his Just only attempt of the game. Yeah. Kendall Hinton, if you go for one for one for one yard uh, and no touchdown, what is your passer rating? This will be something good to know. <laughs> according to the box score, it's a 79.2. Right. You're right. It, it absolutely defined the Broncos season this year, which is <laughs> frustration. Um, you could see the potential. It's just that they don't execute. There's questionable decisions in terms of play calling or, or scoring a touchdown that gets wiped out by a penalty and you have to settle for a field goal in what's already a multi-score game. It made it 20-6 to six with an offense get, that couldn't convert already. Get Aaron Rodgers to Cabo. Do the old secret meeting. Figure out. I don't know if it's Rodgers or, or maybe there's another veteran quarterback. Because I, I think I think we all kind of want to see it at this point. Uh, Greg, I think uh, a term that you like to use, it will confirm your priors that the Broncos are good. They just need that next level of quarterback play. Uh, another season where that's kind of defined the conversation a little bit around this. Team. Right. But also like, who knows what I know on paper, this defense and secondary looks good and it is good, but it's like Vic Fangio is not going to be running the defense anymore next year. So then oh, to me, that's a, a start over. I would assume mm. after three straight losing seasons, which this clinches that he's out and yeah, you got some good skill position players for sure for the next coach and the next quarterback, assuming they're not on the team. I mean, you cannot have Vic Fangio and Pat Shermer, going to Cabo to court Aaron Rodgers. It's going to have to be a completely new cast of people that someone like an Aaron Rodgers, who's moving his entire brand to another team, is going to believe in. And I'm not I've sure seen, who that coach is right now. They're also I've trying to El sell the team, by the way. <laughs> I, well, that's that's part of it, too. I've seen, I was going to say, I've seen Elway in Indianapolis. Who knows what goes down when Elway's down in Cabo? It must get. It must be a wild scene down there. I, I'm sure. I'm sure it gets. Chargers quite lucked frenetic. out here. Chargers lucked out with all the injuries and the Broncos this oh, week. And COVID. they deserve they, it. They needed a little luck. And they they deserve it. it. The Chargers are one of those organizations that you should never, you know, hold it against them. They got a W uh, and a little luck. All right, let's move on, Shooky, uh, to Orchard Park, where another team was looking care to looking to take care of business. Bills need a touchdown here. In the gun, the snap to Allen. Hands it off. Singletary driving forward, gets down to the one-yard line, and he is stopped. Just sure, no, it's a touchdown. A late call by the officials, but it's a touchdown for the Bills. <laughs> a six-yard touchdown run by Devin Singletary. 
Let's see, that's classic play-by-play guy move there. I didn't mess up. That guy messed up. Late call. <laughs> John Murphy, WGR, with that call. An accurate call. Wasn't on him. The Bills clinch a playoff spot. Devin Singletary scores two touchdowns in the second half, making up for a sloppy performance from Josh Allen, who had uh, multiple turnovers. But it didn't matter. 29-15 win over the Falcons. Thankfully, uh, thank God, Shooky, uh, the Falcons are eliminated from playoff contention. Uh, but I, I suppose a little frustrating as a Bills fan to see Allen throw three picks a week after that magical performance against the Patriots. Yeah, you know, we, we spend time in digital space talking about MVP races we have for this year and last year and many years before that. And I often get crushed because Josh Allen never makes it into like my top three. But this is the type of game that explains why he doesn't make it into my top three. He's a great player and they rely on him a lot. But occasionally, and I know it was snowy, but you're the Buffalo Bills. You should expect to play in snow. Occasionally, relying on Josh Allen goes poorly. It's just that, you know, I'm glad we played that clip because that's really what defined the win for the Bills is being able to rely on the ground game, something that they really refused to do for a lot of the season (laughs) unless it was Josh Allen running the football until the last couple of weeks. They've gotten back to giving it to Devin Singletary and establishing more of a traditional ground game, and I think it's balanced out their offense, and it's helped them in cases like today where their quarterback is erratic throws a few really ugly interceptions and one that just was a product of, of a risky throw that he's known to take from time to time. And, but it, they were still able to win. And, and you could say, you know, you can give them a ton of credit for doing it offensively and going to the ground game, but it's also a reflection of how much talent that the Falcons still need when they don't have Kyle Pitts in the field because he wasn't available in the second half and they couldn't move the ball. They had 77 total yards in the second half um, after losing Kyle Pitts, essentially. So they need more weapons, and they've been a scrappy bunch, and, and they've been fun to watch, I guess, at times just because they play hard. But in games like this, that talent difference ends up being the difference, and it was today. You know, I think Arthur Smith has dealt with that all year long, and, he, and he's dealt with it creatively um, when there isn't a lot of options for creativity. So I'd give his first-year coaching there um, a positive grade. But I would ask you this because we just said, oh, if you, if you project enough, you could say Carson Wentz, in Indianapolis has like a Joe Flacco Super Bowl type run with Josh Allen. He's an MVP candidate going into any, any season. Do you think though, that we can get three straight performances from Josh Allen that are pristine enough to avoid something like this? Cause in a playoff game, they're out if this happens. Yeah. Um, you know, that's kind of the wild card last year. You would say yes, this year it's been up and down. I mean, it really has as a team and, this is probably the lowest point he's had, I think, all year. But th- that's who they've been, you know, in terms of final score. They blow out a team like the Dolphins one week, and then, uh, you know, a few weeks later, they lose a close one or they lose to the Jaguars. They've been very up and down, so it's kind of difficult to predict. I think over time with his progression, you would expect if he's still with Brian Dable and they, they have a little bit more of a balanced offense because relying on him to throw it, you know, 40 times and run 15 times, that's going to work sometimes against some teams, but I don't think it's really – the the reliable formula then yeah maybe that mm. does happen but it's just right now not with this season i couldn't say that i mean this was the classic josh allen game every possession was an interception or a touchdown yeah <laughs> that's kind of i take it's my just, it's just insane is there a chance here your jets can help out the patriots next week because for a minute there the falcons were ahead in this game i was thinking wow could the bills lose because the bills still you know are winning the afc east but it's not up it's still up for grabs going into week 17 and i i anticipate both the bills and the patriots will be playing obviously to win and so the the patriots would need the jets to pull off like a huge upset 
I, I mean, the Jets came very close to pulling off the biggest home ups- upset in team history today. So it's certainly within the realm of reason. Uh, the Falcons also are like, yeah, they're seven and nine, but they're a whisper away from being four and twelve or three and thirteen. They are not a good team at all. So I guess there's that's a pretty disappointing win, but who cares? It's a win, and the Bills are still in position uh, to uh, win the AFC East uh, if they take care of business on Week 18. All right, Shook, I'm not going to ask you about the Cleveland baseball team uh, name change. I just don't think it's the right uh, platform for you. And I don't want to put you in a tough spot one way or the other. So I'm just going to say uh, you're a great Cleveland sports fan and uh, the people are happy to ha- lucky to have you over there. You know, you're, it's a great business decision out of you because the last thing you want to do is alienate some listeners who feel very strongly about that or don't really care at all about baseball. So this is a football podcast and we'll keep Side-stepped it. Sidestepped it. Sidestepped <laughs> it in a big spot. All right, Chucky, <laughs> thank you, buddy, for joining us. Uh, stay warm and uh, there's always next year. It, yeah, that's true. There is. Thanks, guys. Um, All right, let's take a break, and we soldier on. Stevenson to the left of Jost, takes the snap, a play fake, a throw to the left, looking for Wilkerson. Oh, I hit Lonesome! Touchdown, Patriots! And he goes to Wilkerson for his second touchdown catch of the day. Keep this kid active. Oh, man, he gives you a little something on the outside. Uh, Bob Sochi. And a man named Scott with the call for WBZ. Patriots are back in the playoffs. Rookie quarterback Mac Jones threw three touchdown passes. Actually set the franchise record for touchdown passes in a season. Uh, he only needed to throw 20 to do it, and he did. Damian Harris, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson both scored twice on the ground. Final score, 50-10 to 10 over the Jaguars. And, um, Mark, we talked about this on... Thursday's podcast. If ever there was like the classic Patriots destroy a, a bad team that's ready to go home scenario, it was the Jaguars at home. Uh, so 50 10 is not surprising uh, to many of us, but I guess uh, let's give them credit. They're not doing it with Tom Brady anymore. So there's just something the way this team um, practices, prepares, uh, that separates them from others. Yeah, I think all that's true. You got um, a very clean game from Mac Jones, who threw a couple great touchdown passes in this. You got a guy like Christian Wilkerson, who's barely played for them, getting involved with two touchdowns. Their running game was on fire. I think their defensive backfield could essentially look at Trevor Lawrence in this offense and assess what they were trying to do on almost every play. You are playing the worst attack in the NFL. It looked like it. Trevor Lawrence was underwater from the very beginning. Um, You don't have James Robinson in the backfield. And, you know, about 12 minutes into this, I was thinking, oh, this is going according to script in every possible way. It's going to project out as a blowout. It did exactly that. New England scored on, I think, eight of nine drives. They were forced to punt once. It was just utter and total dominance. They controlled both lines of scrimmage. And, I, you know, I don't want to bring up Trevor Lawrence over and over, but it has been such a bad season that you just wonder where he is at mentally. I mean, we know New England's very good against rookie quarterbacks, but the, the level of dominance today was like these two teams were not playing in the same field or in the same sport. I mean, his receiver group is um, among the worst position groups in the entire NFL, not just receiver position groups, just any position. The drops, the like mental mistakes every week is, is brutal to watch. 
Uh, and they, they're probably a lay down for the Colts in a similar big spot next week like they did the first time they play the Colts. It's quite an accomplishment, I think, for the for this Belichick rookie quarterback team to get to 10-6 and six here. You got a chance to go to 11-6. and six. It was disappointing. Obviously, they didn't show up in some of their biggest games of the year. Uh, but it is quite a rebound from what where they were a year ago. Uh, and they'll... They'll be dangerous. Like, uh, I, I'm with Scott Zolak on this one point, if only this. Uh, keep Wilkerson active in the playoffs. I've seen enough of Nikhil Harry. Oh, I know he, he cracks, cracked down blocks on the running game. Okay, that's great. I saw Wilkerson in the preseason. He made some plays here today. It's like they need they need any good playmaking pair of hands they can get. And you look at the AFC East. Uh, the Bills have a one-game lead. <clears throat> Right? Or are they tied? They're tied. They're tied. In the standings. They have the tiebreaker. And Bills have the tiebreaker. Tie yeah. We talked about the Bills. They have the Jets. The Patriots at Miami. That's an interesting game um, for New England. Um, but the good news is for Patriots fans, which I guess Greg is one of them still, but, you know, we've talked about that on the show. It's unclear. <clears throat> it, it eliminates a, a nightmare scenario where the, the, the help they got today, they're in the dance. If they get some help from the Bills, so be it. If they don't, these teams could very well, I think it's set up right now, Bills, Patriots, round one of the playoffs, and I don't think it matters, as, as we've seen, where that game is played, considering the teams split, winning in each other's stadium. So I think we all want to see a third matchup between those two teams, uh, and I wonder if it's kind of a... a, a I don't. It's a happening here. It's going to go down. I don't. Uh, it would go a long way to putting to bed... I think an argument that we've had about these two teams as a trio all season long. I mean, it's it's we need to see a third one. I'd love to see Patriots, Bengals, or or Patriots Chiefs even more than that, just because I think that'd be fun. By the way, the Bengals had a a, a Golston today. It's been a while. I check every game. Golston, of course, no <laughs> sacks, no quarterback hits. Congratulations! Can, wait, can you Bengals. clarify for me, Greg? Because I, again, I don't even know sometimes with the Patriots talk what you mean. Like what? Do you want to avoid the Bills because you don't think it's a good matchup, or because you would watch it would be a, a more fun matchup if they're playing? Some, I've seen I'm, that twice. I think the Bills' best game um, is really high level, and like I've seen that game. And uh, to me, Patriots Chiefs would be a lot of fun, and Patriots Bengals would also be fun. I, I don't need another division, you know, third time around. Slug You're scared here. of the Bills. That's that's what I'm reading. Here. I would I would agree. I think I'm, I'd be scared of the Bills, but I think the Chiefs like are a tougher matchup. But there would be something about that that would just be intriguing if they could ever have a chance there with Mac. All right, so let us now move to some intra-league football in Baltimore. Takes the snap. Inter rolls right. Intra Hitches, throws caught front pylon. OBJ touchdown touchdown. Touchdown, L.A. Odell Beckham Jr. gives the Rams their first lead with 57 seconds remaining in Week 17. Thinking about that springtime social with J.B. Long post-draft. We're having a couple of, maybe he's drinking a White Claw, I'm drinking a Tito's with our beautiful families just living it up in Southern California. One of the strangest recurring bits going right now. J.B. Long, KYSR with the call. I think I might have heard MJD in the background there. Matthew Stafford threw a seven-yard touchdown pass to Odell Beckham Jr. with 57 seconds to play. That came after Stafford and Beckham connected on a fourth and five to keep the game alive for the Rams. And the Ravens could not respond in their ensuing drive. They lose their 
uh, fifth straight game, and the final score was... 20 to 19. 20 to 19. Thank you, Greg. Another sloppy performance, Greg, by Stafford, but he delivered when it mattered. He did. That drive to take the lead was the the moment like you bring Stafford there for. And I know you can say like he's the reason they were trailing, and he was a big reason. He had three turnovers. They were all his fault. It wasn't like he had bad luck. He played well in the second half. Like they, they had to play very clean and nearly perfect on offense. Cause they were not getting the ball very often. The Baltimore Ravens offense just kept grinding up these long plays, like a 14 play drive, a 12 play drive, a 15 play drive, a nine play drive. Uh, so Stafford didn't have a lot of chances and they had to finish touchdown, touchdown to win the game. And he did it, including a fourth down play to Odell Beckham, before the touchdown, you know, with the game essentially on the line and Beckham makes a fantastic hands catch and Stafford, you know, moves out of the way of pressure. It was like an incredibly clutch play. And this Rams team has shown an ability now this last month to win a variety of types of games and come through in the fourth quarter. And they're trying to kind of build their their culture, I guess, their identity of this Rams team. And I think they got a feel now when they get into these tough situations that they're going to come out with victories. Yeah, I thought the biggest X factor for them was overcoming Stafford mistakes. And they weren't able to do that in the loss to Tennessee. They weren't able to do that when they were thumped by the Niners way back when. And this is a game that kind of shows, look, he he will be imperfect because you're going to get a game in the playoffs where he's going to be imperfect. I mean, he is sort of that dude that throws pick sixes. He throws interceptions and little he's thrown bundles. more this season than Rodgers has his whole career right I mean he's Outrageous. also thrown more than all but three quarterbacks since 1950 during his career so it's Oof. a thing I mean I know a lot of that happened in Detroit but if you're a Rams team that wanted to find a demoralizing loss late in the year that would have put us back into a weird place with you you go to Baltimore and you lose on the east coast this way instead they found their way out of it and it included a new face like Odell Beckham I think that matters and I think their defense, I mean, I know that, you know, Baltimore had their way with them to a bit today. In general, the Rams defense gives me a ton of hope. They're very balanced on both sides of the ball. And I have no problem with winning ugly in what early January. We're going to mine into mid January here before the playoffs. I'm fine with it. Maybe this is, maybe it's time to just recalibrate expectations with Odell Beckham that he's just never going to be a guy who puts up Justin Jefferson type lines or, or what we saw at Jamar Chase today. He's just not a consistent elite elite playmaker like he used to be. But again, I think he's up to what four to five touchdowns now with LA. It seems like he scores once every game and otherwise unremarkable box score, but he's become a red zone threat and a weapon for them of what he never was with Cleveland. So that has been a help for them. We still have the opportunity potential for Cam Akers around the bend. Sonny Michelle has really played well. Cooper cut in an off game for him goes six ninety five and one. So I think, the Rams, yeah. Is Stafford somebody you just lock and load and be like, okay, he's ready for the playoffs? No, but like I have him in the same class as Josh Allen. Well, Josh Allen's a better player, but what I mean is Josh Allen, Carson Wentz, Matt Stafford, these guys that are talented but sometimes enigmatic type players that can obviously go on a heater in the postseason. And could I imagine Matt Stafford having a killer postseason and them riding it all the way to the Super Bowl? And I totally can see that. So again, that's why you go get Matt Stafford and they're set up here for all the trials and tribulations of the season. They're 12 and four and they have a chance here. 
They're where the two are they seed. At, what are, where the are they two at? Seed. They, they can get, can they get up to one or are they? Well, as we tape this, we're going to assume the Packers finish out the Vikings here and then that'll clinch the one seed for the Packers. So they're, okay. they're, the Rams are at two. They're, they haven't won the division. They can do it next week. They can't have these three turnover games from Stafford. He's done you know back-to-back weeks. I know they've won, but in the playoffs, I, I don't know if you have that margin for error. But I do like, like, like you said, Cup, this was, in theory, an off game, but he stepped up getting open, huge plays at the end, um, making plays after the catch. Ramsey had a nice game. I'd like to see – it's clearly not the passing game that that peak Rams could be because this is an undermanned Ravens secondary, and they were not taking advantage of it um, for chunks of this game. The, the Ravens kind of backed off. I think that surprised them. They were playing conservative. Uh, but Donald – we keep saying it week after week, like he changed this game. His pass rush uh, pressure on Huntley prevented a wide open touchdown in the first half. He gets a sack to end a drive in the red zone at the end of the game. The Ravens were basically on the doorstep of scoring a touchdown and almost putting this thing out of uh, out of bounds. And then that's the moment where Donald s- steps up and it was just like another just Aaron Donald you probably weren't going to win the game if it wasn't for Aaron Donald he, he's game. defensive player of the year I he mm. for me Oof, Listen, it's a close one it's a you close know, one. The, we talk about it all the time the old uh Francesism seasons doesn't stop till after Thanksgiving on November 28th the Ravens outlasted the Browns 16-10 a game in which uh, Lamar Jackson threw four interceptions, but they still won. And at that moment, they were eight and three on November twenty eighth. Now you fast forward to January second; they're eight and eight, and now need to win in week eighteen and get help, or they end up out of the playoffs entirely. It's it's pretty it's pretty wild what's happened to the season, but not if you've been following it week by week, not particularly surprising because they just have been absolutely assaulted by injuries and COVID and the Lamar ankle injury, which was obviously more serious than they initially let on. Uh, that's how they got where they are. So. Right. And the, in four of those losses are a, by a, the last four losses are by a combined six points. That's outrageous. Right. And well, they probably have, well, they probably have four wins that combined by six points too early. Right. In the season, they, that so was early in the season, right. but I'm just yeah. saying to do this in such a short stretch, where you lose by one, lose by two, lose by one, and then lose by one. It's too bad. Huntley, you can see he's a pro quarterback. Like, he's a starter. He made a couple mistakes today that that hurt them. Um, it wasn't quite as good a game from him uh, in this game. Like, he, he still looks good, um, and he looks like he belonged, but he he had a couple plays he wanted back or else they could have won it. Oh, well. Would have helped my fantasy team that went down in the finals today. But uh, we'll, we'll take that second place. Uh, prize money and, and we're off. We're off. We we're happy with the way things turned out overall. Just disappointing. Uh, but I know a lot mm. of people were. When you wondering, see this on Game Pass, there were a couple of plays where he could have had more points. They were. Oh, uh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I don't. Need, it wouldn't have mattered. My opponent put up one seventy five. It's fine. We move. We move forward. We're professionals here. Uh, on to oh, not great timing for this. On to the Meadowlands. Ready to go, Brady. With twenty three seconds to go, the snap a good one. Brady looking, cocks the arm, throws toward the end zone, receiver open, caught ball, touchdown Tampa Bay, touchdown Tampa Bay, Buccaneers take the lead for the first time of the game, Grayson makes the catch of the end zone, Buccaneers lead, 26-24, Tom Brady, you're terrific. (laughs) See, it's about the delivery, like when Gene Deckerhoff says, Tom Brady, you're terrific, that's nice, I like that. 
um, when another announcer goes, I love Tom Brady. It doesn't carry the same <laughs> warmth. Put it that <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, there's a, there's a lacking of a panache there with um, the second individual. A man named Scott. Uh, WFUS, Gene Dagger off. Antonio Brown walked away from the Bucks, But luckily, they still have Tom Brady. The GOAT led the Bucks on a 93-yard drive in the final minutes, culminating with a 33-yard touchdown strike to Cyril Grayson, sealing a 28-24 win over my Jets. The Jets had a um, two-touchdown lead in this game, um, and... It was a tough one. We're going to get to the game, but let's start with the Antonio Brown stuff because uh, obviously this was the huge story of the early games. It was everywhere. Brown had, it's still unclear as of of this taping what set him off, but he had a meltdown uh, late in the third quarter. Tampa Bay was trailing 24-10 at the time. Uh, Cameras caught him in an animated discussion with Mike Evans. Evans was trying to calm down Brown, but instead Brown stripped off his pads, jersey, gloves, T-shirt, tossed the gloves and T-shirt into the stands, and then walked completely bare-chested down the sideline into the end zone, which, by the way, should have been a penalty, but we're not going to dwell on anything like that. He then waved to the fans, jogged through the end zone, into the tunnel at MetLife Stadium, apparently left the stadium without a shirt on. And uh, after the game... um, (laughs) First, there was speculation that he was benched and he melted down because of that. But then there was talk on Twitter that he wasn't even benched, but something no. set the, set the he man off. Jay Glazer reported that Arian, at one point, he was already upset for some reason that is unclear. Arians, you know, put him in the next play. I guess he was, I guess he was like on the sideline and Arians, you know, put him in the next play and he refused to go in. And okay. then Arians asked again the, the next play. And at that point, when he did, he refused to go in. He said, "Like you're out, you're you know." Okay, and then he melted down. So anyway, Arians after the game, obviously the first question is not about this great comeback. It's about Antonio Brown walking out in the middle of a game. Here's what Arians had to say: He is no longer a buck. All right, that's the end of the story. Let's talk about the guys that went out there and won the game. See, but it's not that easy, Bruce. It is not that easy because you, Bruce Arians, and you, Tom Brady, and you, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, created this situation by looking the other way over and over uh, when Brown was clearly a loose cannon. Now, I think there's something interesting with this. And, Mark, I'll start, I'll, I'll tee you up on this. I wonder, obviously, Antonio Brown seems like he's not the greatest guy, but sometimes I wonder if there's like a mental health component here that makes this maybe not as straightforward as like everyone just saying clowning this guy for being a total idiot. It sometimes it feels like to me with some of his behavior that there's something wrong with him. And then you hear Brady's comments after the game that were he was expressing concern about uh, Brown's well-being. That's a part of this conversation that I feel like you're not hearing a lot of. I mean, I, I, I do think that when we look at Antonio Brown and you look at what happened on hard knocks with the Raiders and, you know, there's a litany, a laundry list of things that have happened with Antonio Brown that it is possible to piece together and be curious about the mental health side. I mean, because there's been indications and suggestions that that is something he deals with. And I, I took Brady's comments along the same avenue that you did. Um, I, you, this is a star player who, on, who was on a Hall of Fame you know, avenue at some point. I mean, you can see it. And it's like, that's why he was in the building. I think this puts to bed probably what was a bit of a tension-filled um, scenario between, not about tension-filled, but Tom Brady wanted him. Would he have been on the Bucks if Tom Brady wasn't there? No, this wasn't a Bruce Arians 
wish casting. I think Bruce Arians did the, his best to put up with him. I just wonder, I mean, in terms of the Antonio Brown experience, did he wake up at some point today thinking that, you know, I don't want to play anymore or in the scope of possibilities of actions I might take today, one of them could be stripping down from the belt up and running out of the stadium and taking an Uber home. Uh, I, I just, he was well-dressed when he took the Uber. There was some great uh, shots of him waiting. It wasn't an Uber. He got his personal, uh, Oh, well then he's fine. You've you've taken, you've taken, first of all, you've taken (laughs) your chance for a Super Bowl ring away. And you've probably taken your, your team's chances away because losing Antonio Brown on the field is nothing short of Titanic. I think for the, for the Buccaneers, right? With the state that they're in right now, it's huge. And this wasn't like a, experiment that always had a potential high risk high reward point of implosion and today it imploded in in rather spectacular fashion well supposedly they were getting frustrated according to some of the local reports with his behavior throughout the course of his suspension and then since coming back and you could see the way he was with reporters when he didn't even want to answer questions about it so you know you're right dan like arian's was the I know Brady wanted him on the team, but Arians ultimately made the decision to keep him, which was even after the suspension, which was obviously a mistake. And uh, they're going to be counting on Cyril Grayson and um, Tyler Johnson. You know, I, I I know Evans was back today, uh, and Gronk had a good game, but they're definitely shorthanded. Levante David's hurt, Shaq Barrett's hurt. They've had some really significant players that are out right now. To um, to both to Mark your point, I wonder if. Arians has a conversation with Brady before he goes up that podium, up to that podium, or if that's something that in the, just in the heat of the moment he says, "No, he's gone. That's it." Um, well, I mean, just- it, it, that was to me like he's not even. It's like Antonio Brown quit. It was he was off the team already. He he put he took himself off the box. Arians never even had a choice. I don't know, right? Well, uh, I mean, he left. Yeah. He literally left. You know what I mean? Like at at that point, Antonio Brown knew his Bucks career was over. I mean, I don't know if he's thinking about it that way. I don't think he like, was thinking about was anything it. because if you look at his escalators right. and his contract, he was with, if with just like normal type Brown performances, uh, the rest of this game and next week, he would have cleared like well over a million dollars in bonuses. So I think he's a guy that is a complete loose cannon and a hothead that lost his temper and probably even if he won't admit to it right now, he knows he made a huge mistake. Now there's talk like. Oh, he's out of football now. Well, we'll see. We'll see. They wait until the off season and see if another team says, "Oh, I, I would like this like top twenty-five wide receiver in the whole league at a deep discount." Like, don't underestimate the NFL's ability to look the other way. But I mean, I always think about Chris Wessling and the most upset I've ever seen him on the podcast, other than when someone told him to take his hat off, um, was when Tom Brady and Bill Belichick brought Antonio Brown. Uh, to New England uh, in the wake of the um, sexual assault allegations that Brown was facing at the time. And and Wes was so strong about that and, and said that he had lost all respect for Belichick and Brady. I remember there was some tension in the studio that night, Greg, because you were talking, you know, you guys were in a real good conversation about everything about it. And um, I thought about that today because I've been thinking about I know as we all have Wes a lot uh, with the new year and, you know, he's been gone almost a year now. Um, that Brown, this is not anything new, that he's been this divisive guy that at a certain point people need to, you got to put your foot down and say, this is not a guy that can help my team, even if he is fantastically talented. We've mm. seen it again with yet another team. Right, and one of one of Wes's favorite coaches too, Arians. You know, one of it, like, 
an organization that you know they they won a Super Bowl, so I guess they'll they'll look back and think I guess it was worth it because he, he helped along the way. Um, but it it's like they they asked for it and they got it, and I don't think they're they're done by any means. I mean, they they find a way to win this game. And I know we can get to the game, but they've, they've won twelve games and they'll they'll have a home game in the first round of the playoffs and maybe more. But they're not the same team that they could have been because of injuries and now because of this as far as the game goes um from the Jets side really I know it helps their draft standing but it's a really tough loss because like I said they were I think um double digit teen uh underdogs in this game uh and Zach Wilson played his best complete game of the year and the defense really played well and played with a lot of passion. And I, I came out of the game or as the game went along, like really feeling good about Robert Sala and how hard he had this team playing. Uh, after the game, Sala was furious about a, the Jets were up uh, by um, three points uh, or four points, excuse me, uh, late in the game, deep in Tampa Bay territory, facing fourth and two. And there's a miscommunication between uh, Michael LaFleur, the offense coordinator, and Zach Wilson about a play call uh, that should have been an end around to Braxton Berrios, but instead turned into a QB sneak, a two-yard QB sneak that they were trying to get. They got maybe half a yard. Brady takes over and goes right down the field, and I thought it was interesting how pointed Sala was. I wonder what it means for the relationship with Michael LaFleur, who in, I think has been very good this year, but that set in motion the comeback for the Bucks, who went 93 yards the other way. The Jets passing mm-hmm. up the field goal on fourth and two. Uh, that would have put them up seven to try to win the game. Call the wrong play in the huddle, or it's executed improperly by the rookie, but it was put completely on Michael LaFleur. That was the big turning point in what people talk about, not Antonio Brown related mm-hmm. in this game. I just I would look at some of the positive quarters and moments the Jets have had in the last couple of weeks and say, let's build off it. I'd hate to see them in some sort of skate goat scenario or, or or fresh change, move on from LaFleur and bring in a new offense. Because if Zach Wilson needs anything on the planet, it is ultra consistency between now and next September. I hate I, the yeah, lack of I responsibility agree. there. But hopefully it's just like emotions, but that's from both coaches. I mean, Arians takes no responsibility whatsoever. Doesn't even want to talk about it. When he said he wouldn't talk about why Brown was returning in the first place. Like you're always asking your players to take responsibility and then the coaches don't. And I, I don't know if, if Sala was putting it on his coach, but that's a bad job by him, too. Like, you don't want to do that publicly. Yeah, I mean, he didn't I mean, he mention anybody by down, name. You know. But, right. yes, they. It, it was just unfortunate because it was really a nice – it was a nice day overall at the Meadowlands. The fans were into it. just didn't work out. But credit to the Bucks, They come back. They keep themselves pointed in the right direction, even if Antonio Brown will not be there any longer. Let us now take a break and then continue on. Heineke firing for the end zone incomplete. Incomplete. And let's Roger see. McLeod says he caught the ball Roger in the end McLeod zone. says McLeod, he intercepted it. McLeod feels like he just intercepted the game. Now let's see. He intercepted the ball to seal the game. He does it again the second week in a row that Roger <laughs> McLeod comes up with the interception. Huge. And this is going to do it, ladies and gentlemen. That's like such a perfect call for the Eagles as a team right now. Which is like, yeah, well, it worked out. <laughs> that was a good thing for the Eagles. The Eagles win. Merrill Reese, Mike Quick with the call WIP. Is not art right now for the Eagles, but football's not played in a damn museum. 
Rodney McLeod picked off Taylor Heineke in the end zone with 24 seconds to play to seal another win for the Eagles, this time a 2016 conquest over the Washington football team. Greg, Philly's recent games all seem to follow a similar script, slow start followed by a winning course correction. Right. They were impressive here. I mean, I know it wasn't pretty and <laughs> McLeod, you know, I didn't think that was an interception either. You're I such almost, a homer for the Eagles. I don't know I what am, that is about. I a 2016 win over this Washington team fine. is a hyper impressive win. This is a two and five <laughs> team that you were wondering if the coach might last only one year, if the GM might finally lose his job after, you know, more than a decade in, in that building uh, that cl- clinched the playoff spot with a week left in the season uh, by going seven and two. And yes, they they got uh, a nice break in terms of the schedule uh, throughout that run, uh, but they still did it. And like for this team, for their expectations, they did it. And you're right that this game was perfect for it because it was not pretty, especially defensively in the first half. But the second half, when they needed it, like there were very few drives in this game. They go touchdown, field goal, field goal. They win the second half, 13 to nothing. Their defensive line absolutely dominated after Heineke was just playing out of his mind in the first half. And they played more or less a perfect second half to go clinch a playoff spot. You know, just (laughs) take it. Just take it. I mean, uh, what do you want? No, you want to talk about, like, in the AFC, everybody wants to look at and maybe we'll get the Titans. All these NFC superpowers, like, give us the Eagles in round one. We'll fly. Hmm. I, you know what? I think the Eagles are ripe to pick someone off in the playoffs, depending on how that opponent's It'll be like the Rams or the Bucks, most likely, at this I could point. See but it. a lot could change. I could see it. They've given up under 25 in a row. Now, that came against the Giants, the Jets, the Giants again in Washington twice. So that, that factors in. But I think they're built really well <laughs> along both lines. They can run the ball. Jalen Hurts, if you get the right game out of him, I would not want to deal with them in the wild card round. I, you know, I, I'm not going to say too much more because I have to watch the game. Uh, so I'm not going to bury the Eagles for their performance today. But I think it does. We need to keep an eye on Jalen Hurts healthy. I think, yes, I'm going to walk that back a little bit because maybe if he's making plays with his legs in a playoff game, um, things can get dicey for any favorite. Uh, but I thought, uh, you know, there were some comments made by Nick Sirianni after the game. Um, that, you know, he really thought so much of Hurts for kind of battling through what's been a really painful injury that's affected him in a lot of ways. So he's coming out here and winning games. So respect to uh, respect to the quarterback for that, respect to the Eagles for getting to the playoffs. I don't think a lot of people had a pick for the playoffs. And Nick Sirianni, who, you know, who's overcome uh, some initial um, public-facing you know, an underwhelming start to like how he was positioned and where the organization was and how things are going to work out. Well, they're going to the dance. So that's pretty good. Right. And they, this was a fourth and fourth down game. You know, it would have been the talking point. I feel like if it didn't work, it, it often doesn't become the talking point when it does work, but they scored two touchdowns on fourth and goal. And I think both were from the two, if I was right. So that it wasn't like a, a total cinch. And one of them took an extraordinary play, from Boston Scott Jalen hurts like essentially gets tripped up while pitching the ball backwards. The defensive line for Washington looks like they're winning. Scott gets to the outside, gets the touchdown and hitting those two fourth and goals was kind of the difference uh, in, in a game that was this close that hind that both quarterbacks. If you look at the box score played much better <laughs> than they, 
than the box score showed. Hertz, I thought, had one of his best games. His offensive line did not play well for him, which was rare. They did not have much of a running game besides Hertz. And Heineke played really like out of his mind in the first half. Like every third down just felt like it was Heineke pulling off a miracle and, and it ran out. I would say Shit. one thing. I know Ron Rivera is, you know, beyond critique and we all like the person a lot, but this team has fallen off a cliff. And I know that they've been shorthanded. There've been Corona issues. There've been injuries. You don't have the quarterback you plan with, although I don't think the quarterback play has killed them that much. Four games in a row against division opponents. They were embarrassed by the Cowboys a week ago. They've lost twice to the Eagles now in, in, in not too far away weeks. Like, I'm sorry, but like the, the honeymoon period on some level needs to be reimagined during the offseason. You've got to go get some real players, especially a quarterback. Little honeymoon period reimagining. I like it. <laughs> All right, well, uh... I mean, you know, it's, yeah, I think it gets more rope than most, most coaches around. Yeah. Can we just mention quickly that the rails at the stadium collapsed? Oh, yeah. And that was incredible. <laughs> it, it was terrible. Be- it was a. Uh, uh, a couple. Listen uh, to Greg uh, correct you, Mark. It wasn't. No, no. I mean, it was, sorry, it was a very, I just so, mean, very sober moment. Um, it wasn't today. a sober moment. It was amazing that that Hertz then like starts posing for pictures. But it was if the timing had been different. Garofolo, by the way, nice job. I think he was the one that. I don't think he was. Cra- the oh, no, he just sent it out. Yeah. Okay. He amplified it successfully. Okay. Um, I mean, Hertz could have been underneath that while while the gate fell on them and all the fans did. If it was like two seconds later, that would have been a freaking disaster. What's going on in Washington? Earlier in the season, the pipes were bursting and soaking the fans. The, the, come on, let's build a new stadium. I mean, when you watch what, what, what like human bodies are capable of, because also the fans that fell like face forward down like 90 straight degrees into the earth should have been hurt. And they were up two minutes later with their arms around Hertz taking like group selfies. So, I, you know, the body is strange. Wait a second. I think maybe it was Mike's original video. I, I'm oh, not sure. I don't want to take mm. it away from him. Either way, that's how I saw it because it was going nuts. Um, and there was an AP photographer runner that was injured. He was underneath that thing when it fell. Oh, he was? Um, not good. I don't believe it was a serious injury situation. But, yeah, it was, it was scary because, you know, like that was – what, 20 people leaning into it. That's got to be fortified. What are we doing in Washington? Can we do, can we do anything right there? And the, the Eagles are, are brought their heated benches, too. It's now become a bit in the NFC West that everyone's oh, bringing their benches to Washington. <laughs> can we clean things up down there, for Christ's sake? And, and yeah, give it up to uh, Hertz for that's, – that's some Joe Montana-like composure to just start posing with the fans like seconds <laughs> later. I don't think anybody was aware there were injuries at that point or serious injuries. All right, anyway, let's uh, head from one team punching their ticket to another that could, the Niners. 49ers on the 45 at a roll. Troy lands to the right, has time. Going to throw back left on the over route. It is caught by Debo Samuel inside the 10. Breaks a tackle. Touchdown! San Francisco! Great call, Greg Papa. 1G, Greg. Not a triple G, two Gs, double G. It'd be even better if he was triple G, Papa, wouldn't it? Right, he's only, he's only 50% G. Mm. Sniper shot, KNBR. <laughs> Rookie Trey Lance threw two touchdown passes in the second half of his second career start. And the Niners now, uh, zeroed in on a playoff spot with a 23-7 win over the Texans. 
the Niners can clinch their second postseason appearance in five years under Shanahan with a win next week against the Rams or a loss by the Saints. That is the setup, Mark. What did you think about the kids' performance today, and would it be something that potentially gives Kyle Shanahan some pause as they look forward in 2022? I think it would give him a little bit of pause because, I mean, you know, he heated up and you saw a couple things, which I'll get to in a minute uh, later in the game, that give you hope. But I thought that they really struggled. Um, Shanahan struggled to find the best play calls to kind of find rhythm and fit Lance in this offense at first. He threw a bad interception on a, you know, zoned in pass to George Kittle. Uh, he also had an incredible, like, laser touchdown dart to Debo Samuel later in the game that you're like, wait a minute. Jimmy G, for all his good and bad moments, could never have thrown that ball. Mm. And, I mean, he had another incredible throw to George Kittle that the, as they got heated up, and I think they still want to be a run-based team. And, you know, Eli Mitchell like was so good today on a couple of different runs that helped him out. But you didn't see Trey Lance take over the game necessarily. Um, not that I expected that today. I thought the, on the flip side, what happened for Houston a little bit, they hung around their offensive line did a sneaky good job, and they're not a good O-line at all until the Niners' defense really kind of got going later in the game. It just took the entire San Francisco operation some time. I, I honestly looked at it, though, and thought for all of the ups and downs with Jimmy G, I don't know if I would take the risk of putting Trey Lance into a playoff game over Jimmy G at this point. He just looks to me a little slow in his processing. I mean, that did improve as the game went along, so maybe you project out two games from now, it's a little bit better, but I think there's a reason that we haven't seen a ton of Trey Lance up until we needed to because of the injury this week, because I think it's neck up. We all know he's a smart player. They say that, that this offense just has not totally clicked in his mind, although we can do things physically that are very impressive. Well, maybe there's like, maybe that's the case. And I know Garoppolo on balance has been good this year. Um, the case for why Lance should have been in the lineup so he could get their mental reps, get ramped up and continue to gain some confidence. And then you're going into the postseason with a rookie that has some reps. I know that's that's all silly because that's not the way it played out. And Garoppolo certainly is capable of getting hot himself in January. But it did make it as you're explaining that to me, it does make me think maybe he if he had the opportunity to get sped up a little bit, this would be a different Niners hmm. team we're talking about. But that's not where we're at. But he might, I think he might. I mean, it might. the decision might not be one to be made. It, this sounds like a serious thumb injury. It's torn ligaments. He's going to have surgery in it eventually. He never sounded like he got particularly close. He never threw a football this last week. And while I uh, bemoaned the lack of juice going into week 18 at the beginning of the show, mm -hmm. the Rams 49ers game is pretty spicy. I mean, Very. that, you know, 49ers have won five straight against them. The 49ers are going to need that win um, to make the playoffs or at least to clinch a spot. The Saints will still be alive, and I'm sure they'll put that at the same time so it's not a dead game. They've kind of owned the Rams. They could hurt. They could knock the Rams out of the division lead. Maybe it's Lance. Maybe it's Garoppolo. I don't know. The, the way they talked about the Jimmy G injury, it does make you wonder if he's just donezo um, this season. McVay versus Shanahan. That's just fun because, you know, like if there's any two guys on a field, in 2022 right now that I want to have like their inner monologue locked in. I would be like when those guys are going in against each other and just mother effing each other, like all through the game, I'm the true boy genius. No, I am. Take that wannabe boy genius. I'm the true boy genius. Like, well, you're both like 40. So <laughs> it's the extent of the right. Dialogue. And McVeigh, McVeigh could knock them right out of the playoffs, which would be a nice little uh, revenge for losing five straight against them. 
All right, so let's uh, let's move on now. The Saints also harbor playoff uh, hopes as we enter Week 18 in a few days. So uh, let's check in on them. Second and 20, back to pass. Here comes pressure. Throw. That ball's picked off right side. Looks like C.D. Deuce right in front of the Saints bench down inside the 30-yard line. C.D. Deuce will take it to the end zone to celebrate, and that's the way you finish it. CD Deuce, I liked it. The late interception of Sam Darnold sealed it for the Saints in 18-10 win on Sunday. Uh, Saints still alive in the in the wild card race, and this is a game where Alvin Kamara turned a short pass into a New Orleans touchdown, their first touchdown in 11 quarters. Would you, you ever think you would see that? The, the Saints under Sean Payton needing 11 quarters to score a touchdown. But even if he didn't score that, they probably would have won anyway because Brett Maher kicked four field goals and the defense uh, was just way too much uh, for the Panthers' completely inept offensive attack. This is a Panthers team that had seven sacks of Sam Darnold. Cam Jordan had three and a half on his own, and that's his third straight game with at least two sacks. He's had a great career, Cam Jordan, and he still got it. And yes, it was C.J. Gardner-Johnson or... C.J. Deuce, was it? C.D. Deuce. C.D. Deuce, Deuce. Um, who uh, locked it down. So the Panthers had six straight losses. Uh, the Saints pulled to eight and eight, and they have a shot here. I mean, I didn't watch much of this game, but I did watch the Panthers' final drive while they were down eight, so it's technically a one-score game. I don't feel like I needed to watch anything more than that. Oh, my God. <laughs> this was not a great game. This was not a fun game to watch. This is a game like... I'm glad I watched it because I don't have to ever think about it again. Um, Sam Darnold can't play. It did remind me that I was one of the people that was like, man, they probably should have kept Darnold and then traded that number two overall pick. And no, Sam Darnold's just not going to be the guy. Uh, he's, a, he's a backup somewhere. Taysom Hill's the same thing. Taysom Hill's not even a backup, I don't think, at quarterback. I think he's, Whoa. he's much more suited to be the gadget player that he was before that, I think. His, this was by far not his worst game, but it kind of is the Taysom Hell experience that he doesn't really move the, the offense very well, but he will come in with a, a nice run here and there. Um, so the offense is what it is, and it was good that they got Kamara unlocked a little bit in this game. They've really struggled to do that uh, in stretches this season, but it's the defense that carried them and the defensive line, which is really good, and that is their ticket to the playoffs. They are a They are not a pretty team, the Saints. Uh, but they are a gritty team. I love, and I know you do, Greg, I love the Week 18 matchup at Atlanta because, you know, the Falcons are a team that would love to end the Saints' season in crushing fashion, and I do not put the Saints as a heavy favorite there. I think that's another one of those close Falcons games in which they've had a lot of uh, success this season, but we'll talk about that on Thursday. In the here and now, the Saints got it done. I mean, the Saints, the one thing about them, again, if you project some of these teams into the playoffs, their defense, when they match up well, I mean, can, it can be a lights-out situation. And Carolina's offensive line being as bad as it was, I mean, some of that, that last drive that you watched, Greg, there were two gigantic like takedowns of Darnold that essentially, was, at the second end of the drive, I mean, they are able but to But they were like the throwing three-yard passes. They're down eight yeah, but they, points, but I think they that shows throw it more than three yards. It was just I think crazy. that shows, though, like how yeah. the quarterbacks in Carolina have been under duress all year long behind that line. But this list, the Saints defense did it to Tom Brady a couple weeks ago. I just, they're a little bizarre. I mean, it's hard to predict any of their games outside of them being low scoring.
I feel like Saints fans don't even want them to make the playoffs, which is stupid. Just make the playoffs and have some. I, I know this. What, does mean? what What does it matter? What does it matter? I know what they're saying. I know what they're positioning. Saying. It's like, oh, we don't. It's like, who cares? Just enjoy it. Just make draft the positioning. You're eight and eight. It's right. What, is it, it going to make that matter. big a difference at this point? Right. Exactly. I mean, that's, and I'm not. Well, that po- wasn't I'm, before this. That wasn't. It's like, okay, we know they're not going to win the, when the. I guess the idea is like you don't want to lose thirty-four to three against the Rams or whatever it might be, which is totally uh, possible. I'll but. tell you what. What I wouldn't give to wake up on a Saturday or Sunday morning and be like, "Oh, my team's playing a postseason game today." Do not take that for granted. I know Saints fans. You've been very lucky with Drew Brees all these years, but it doesn't always happen. I don't know how many Saints fans are like that. You think it's a right, lot? Is that a scientific study? How do like where no. are you coming up with that, Greg? Anyway. Just from one. He knows but, who he is. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Any, uh, anybody else have a question about this game? Because it really is exactly what it looks like. Um, the Saints kick, field goal kicker did nicely. The defense balled out. Sam Darnold stinks. Taysom Hill's not much better, but he is better. No, but I think it's noteworthy that Ian Rapport said the plan is to keep Matt Rule. It, but he said barring total catastrophe the last couple of weeks or, or like something unforeseen which so what does that even mean like every week's a catastrophe for the 2020 well i also think uh, it's, all, it's all it's all it's all been foreseen i think what we're watching is not something that's right so us, to me that's know. that says like yeah we're probably keeping them but i don't know if there's some coach we really like that i mean does 178 total yards of offense three yards per play is that a catastrophe I right don't know. the lowest air yards per attempt of sam darnold's career which is like a pretty high or low bar to reach is three. He averaged three point five yards per throw, and that's not even the worst. To like an off season draw or an off the field drama too. You know, I think which some have been good at cooking up. I honestly think Rule's best chance to survive. Yeah, is don't get blown out uh, in week eighteen. Don't say anything. Don't become a meme or be someone that's mocked for a stupid press conference comment, Jay Z type comment, um, and just get get to the off season. Lips sealed into silence. Keep a low profile, my man. We're 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 pulling for you. We like you. You're, you're a Jersey guy, but we need to keep a low profile. All right, let's. Uh, yeah, this, there was a, a worse offensive performance. Uh, mm. It was from the Giants. Let's check in on that. With time, here comes oh, Quinn. Walks right into it. Quinn's oh, got him wrapped up, and the ball comes out. Giants have recovered, but Robert Quinn has just picked up. Sack number 18 in a regular season that has been nothing short of spectacular and has set the Bears' single-season record for sacks that has held for 37 years. This game was about defense for the Bears, though. Robert Quinn broke Hall of Famer Richard Dent's franchise single-season mark with his 18th sack in a 29-3 win. Over the demon. Um, the Giants were held to minus 10 net passing yards in this game. Quinn, meanwhile, reached that 18-sack mark a year after his Bears tenure began with two sacks in 15 games in 2020. Weird, Mark. Weird. It was a weird game. It's uh, an eyesore of a scenario for Giants fans who have been through it. Um, you know, it's always was a Jets-Giants who's dealing with worse stuff. Or what one one of them has like high glory and the other still has worse stuff. But right now, these Giants fans, I mean, this game in the first couple of minutes became as embarrassing as possible. Uh the you know, the Bears basically got up fourteen nothing off a strip sack of Glennon that put the ball to the three yard line. Then he threw a terrible interception. It's just like Mike Glennon, who has been around the block, uh, at this point I don't understand how you keep hiring him. He had twenty four yards 
in the entire game with two killer interceptions and that fumble. The, the Bears' offense was not very good either. I mean, this was a rough watch. Uh, but they just I thought it was better field position for them and a defense in Chicago that looked like under Sean Desai has done a really good job, I think, in general. Like, the Bears' defenses of old. It's like, we don't need the offense to do everything. We're going to go take care of business right now. I, good call about Glennon. I um, wrote about that in the Power Rings last, last week, that the tri-state area has seen entirely too much Mike Glennon uh, this season. And this is the type of performance this year where you kind of play yourself out of that backup quarterback land, and it, it's putting his oh, career yeah. in danger. He could be heading towards the XFL. Uh, any other notes on this game, Mark, that jump out to you uh, before we move on? Not a ton. I do think that I, the Bears have played hard on, on, for Matt Nagy, despite we all know that he's gone. Yeah. I mean, I, I, do, I think you even go back to that Packers performance just in general. They have not faded the way some of these teams have. And so well, some of these I, teams know, like like Joe Judge's team. Uh, we do have right? Joe Judge, uh, some sound from him. His well, 11 minute, some his 11 minute rant defending himself when when uh, they asked like what what he's done to keep his job was ridiculous. Speaking of keep a low profile, dude. Now, you guys ain't been in the building for two years now with this coach. All right, but I'll tell you right now. All right, if you're in the damn building, you walk on through our locker room, you ain't seeing that crap you saw before. All right? Mm. You ain't seeing guys right now playing vacations. You ain't seeing golf clubs in front of players' locker. You ain't seeing that stuff. I mean, well, when did Joe Judge become like Matthew McConaughey in a, in a Time to Kill? <laughs> he suddenly has like a Southern accent. Yeah, that was weird. You ain't, Joe you Judge ain't from? seen this. And it, it was just, just ridiculous. He's from Pennsylvania. And it's just the ain'ts. And, and he went on this huge thing about like what a great how they've stayed together. Like, I don't care. You just got blown out by another team that supposedly isn't staying together. Like, show it on the field. Like, I think he's gone. Who cares that it hasn't been ugly? Like, it's ugly that, on the field. That's I know the matters. report was out there that he was safe, and but that happens every year. There's always a guy that we're told is safe that goes, and I just think the way this season is cratering into abject embarrassment for the Giants, it just makes more and more sense that they're going to do a, a total overhaul of the operation. I mean, I... You could say it's unfair to Joe Judge or whatever, but he's had two years and the organization has regressed or the team has regressed. And it's just like, man, what's the case for keeping a guy when the team's... I mean, the Jaguars are probably the worst team in football, but the Giants are right behind him. And that is, that's really telling. Well, he started like, the point- making things up too. Like he said, <clears throat> people from other teams are telling him that they'd rather be on the Giants still, even though they're making more money elsewhere. It's like, <laughs> just stop. Sorry. I mean, I think I to, to Greg's up, point, though, too, like from last week, that suddenly what you're not going to have the general manager, but you're going to have Joe Judge if you keep him. And then you're going to shoehorn another general manager in there that works in that power structure. I think that the Giants have to finally get this thing right. And I don't know what candidate would be out there that would appeal to them outside of like pulling Bill Belichick away from New England, which I'm going to continue to hammer that idea. Um, but there's there, this is not working. It's dysfunctional. Why would Bill Belichick ever want to leave the Patriots once again, an ascendant franchise to try to rebuild the Giants when he's like 70 years old? Um, Because I think that it would be if he were able to do that in three or four years as his swan song to go back where he came from, to raise it out of the ashes, it would be like, oh, wait, this is the greatest coach of our entire life. Well, here's the thing. He's already risen the Patriots out of their seven and nine slumber. I was going to say, though, like he already has that narrative set up in New England, not to get bogged down here. but Well, I think we all need new challenges. Maybe view yeah. it as a new challenge versus just doing it with the Patriots again. 
but not without Brady is what I'm saying. He kind of already has that set up in New England to to write that final chapter. I yeah. I'm not calling this a likely scenario. I'm just saying that the Giants would want to be wooed by someone. Like, if you're going to move on from Joe Judge, you're not going to fill him in with some other, you know, nameless face, please. Right. All right, let's uh, wrap up the pre-Sunday Night Football games with a trip to Lumen Field. That still doesn't sound right. Play fake. Neither does the clink, though. Looks, rolls, throws inside. Touchdown, Seahawks! What was the original Russ rolls right and he waits, and number 14 opens up under the goalposts from a yard out. And Metcalf now with his third touchdown of the day. Original name of Seahawks Stadium, Questfield. Now that's a name. That's a corporate name I could get A little more poetic, yeah. (laughs) That was when the 12s were the 12s. Anyway. Steve Rabel, uh, K-I-R-O. Russell Wilson threw four touchdown passes. Hey, Greg, three of them to DK Metcalf, buddy. Send Look me out a message. for that take. <laughs> hey, Mac Jones, you're setting records today, three touchdowns. Let's call it a draw. And, uh, uh, well, that was like two takes going up in smoke at the same time, Greg. Russell Wilson shot, and DK Metcalf hates Russell Wilson and can't catch touchdowns from him anymore. Well, that there was never a, a thing that they couldn't catch touchdowns. It was like there the, the, there was some, uh, you know, unhappiness. All right. You're right. Okay. Sticking with Fair. it. Fair. Rashad Penny added 170 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. Seahawks roll 51-29, another 50-burger. Ironic. 50 burgers for the Seahawks and Russell Wilson and Mac Jones and the Patriots. Yeah, Greggy. I, fi- I fired them the up. The takes I- got fire. Well, I mean, I my that that take only lasted like a day before I saw Chris Sims getting flamed for saying the Jets would turn down a Russell Wilson for Zach Wilson trade, which is really a next another level on top of mind, which there's many levels to why I think that's wrong. Um Russell Wilson played great though today. It had a very slow start weirdly for a, a team uh, that put up 50. And then I think they scored touchdowns in six straight drives i mean you don't you don't see that too often touchdown 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 field goal field goal i mean that that's that's getting it done that's eating right what more do we want to say really i mean Mark, do that, you... that was your spot you slide right in there with your own commentary <laughs> well That's how the I, show not works always, not always but i will i will uh, I mean, this what happened with Detroit because I think Tim Boyle, like at this point, would have would have been any different with Jared Goff in there. At any no, level. they banged me. I, I, um, the rainmaker, uh, the hot streak is somewhat over. I went one and one Ow. this week. You know, the the Eagles came through, so I was up to six and zero. Oh. Um, Ow! I got I got uh, banged by Goff. I wouldn't have it, Goff. You're right, wasn't the difference in this, but I wouldn't have uh, made it rain with with Tim Boyle. But that's what happens when you tape on Thursday. It's okay. Ouch. Uh, they. Well, yeah, right. so by great. the way, how about how your defense some accountability on your up. behalf? You what? want to come after certain coaches about accountability? You know, don't talk well, about I, this I or that. You just I could have tried L. to change. Oh, I, well, I could have tried. I thought about like, is there any way to? Because I did change my pick like online and stuff when that happens. But at this point, our podcast, you know. You got to live with what what changes. So I took the L. So there's there's six and one. I don't know if there's too much, but Russell uh, Russell okay. Rashad Penny has like really run well the last few weeks. Great. He yes, now he has as many runs over 25 yards as any running back in the league. He he either is tied with Jonathan Taylor or he's second. I'm not sure right now, but that is outrageous. 
Yeah, that's, um, I guess, something to look forward to. Uh, the Seahawks' former first-round pick finally uh, doing some things, staying healthy. Uh, all right, there you go. The Lions have mixed in some of those grisly blowouts, befitting of a truly terrible team with the feel-good stories. We kind of gloss over when they get their asses blown out. Uh, <laughs> but that's happened our, a lot, our, too, this our year. Narrative, so. yeah. Well, it's true. They've had a ton of close losses, and they've gotten <laughs> d- destroyed. Amon Ross St. Brown, though. Uh, hey, he's a real set, one. Setting some rookie records, had a rushing touchdown. I mean, this was about as fun as a Seahawks-Lions totally empty blowout could be because uh, there was a lot of points. You there like you points? Go. Watch the game. That's it. You know, we have a couple pieces to build around. You know, go get, go get another wide receiver, pair with him, and uh, we're starting to cook a little bit. You got TJ Hawkinson there. All right, enough. Enough Lions talk. Let's move to Sunday Night Football. Seven, Dylan on the inside. Howard to the goal line, and in again. AJ Dylan, Green Bay touchdown with a leap. Too easy for the Green Bay Packers, who are once again the number one seed in the NFC. They are once again thirteen and three for the third straight year as they take out the Vikings without Kirk Cousins. 37 to 10. Final score. As I said, the Packers with the win clinch the NFC. Number one seed, that means they get the bye week. They get home field advantage throughout the NFC playoffs. And Mark, this one never felt like was even the slightest bit of doubt. No. I mean, the game itself... um for the Vikings was just sort of doused in purposelessness because, you know, you've been reduced to a team without your quarterback, but I don't think it would have mattered if Kirk Cousins were there or not. The Packers right now are locked in, as you mentioned, to the first team in league history to win 13 plus games in three straight seasons of those three teams. This is the one I, I'd struggle to kind of buy into hot regular season. I expect you to get knocked out in the playoffs. I don't feel that way at this at all. I think you look around the NFC right now, and I love teams like this that, that drop a bomb right before they start to rest players and get ready for their bye. Who wants to go into Green Bay? Is it the Cowboys who are a hot and cold operation? I mean, we like parts of them. The Rams who you're praying like their quarterback doesn't have a bad turnover game. We don't know what we're getting from the Cardinals. And the Bucks team, the one that I thought might have been kryptonite for Green Bay, just watched their best skill position player march off the field with no shirt. So I think Green Bay is rounding into form at the most perfect possible time. Your quarterback is the MVP of the league. You have skill position players all over the place. The defense is solid enough. This team right now has no excuses, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just see their path as clear to the Super Bowl as it's ever been in the last five or six years. It it was nice for them, though, to do this. I, I know Kirk wouldn't have made the difference, but to go into halftime with the yardage total before that Vikings field goal drive, I believe was 290 to 30. It was like, okay, thank you, Packers, because the last three or four weeks without these complete games, with letting the Ravens back in, with getting a little lucky, I believe, against the Browns, I'm sure they wanted to play a cleaner game. Rodgers was fantastic. If Tagura didn't drop that you know, potential touchdown in the first quarter, he would, you know, Rodgers would have had three touchdowns. Devontae Adams sets the Packers record. Everything's great. And they're not going to play a meaningful game for three weeks, which is always a little weird. Uh, but the next time they play, 
there'll either be like eight teams left or there'll be six teams left or who knows? Like that's the next time the Packers will, will play a meaningful game and they might have a lot of players back, especially on the offensive line. That That's the spot where I think they could get better where they've been short, you know, without Turner, without Myers, and now without Bakhtiari, of course. Yeah, the Bakhtiari thing looms over everything. He was, you know, their best tackle and the best uh, offensive lineman, and he tore the ACL last January. If he came back, that would be a huge lift. And, yeah, I, I agree that this feels, of the three years, the year that they're the most set up here um, to get back to the Super Bowl. Uh, they haven't been to the Super Bowl since the 2010 season, so they're obviously overdue. Rodgers, even though it feels like he's going to be good forever, um, you don't know what his future is with the Packers. You don't know Devontae Adams' contract is up. They're over the cap significantly. Um, so this particular team, the way it's constituted, like this is the team that needs to win two home games and get to the Super Bowl, and I think they'll be a favorite in every game they play. Now, we'll get to all that in time, but I think it was just – it should be celebrated what they've been able to do this season, which is – they started the season as ugly as it can get, losing that game in Jacksonville to the Saints. Uh, Rodgers threw two interceptions in that game. He threw two more over the next 16 weeks. Uh, that's just how crazy, 15 weeks, that's how crazy the season has been um, in terms of the offense being mistake-free. They're so well coached. They didn't have a penalty in this game till the very end of the game. Jones and Dylan are a great one-two punch. Adams is unbelievable. So, yeah, this team is set up well. Uh, we'll talk about the Vikings as well, Mark, down the road. But you have to wonder. I thought it jumped out to me. I didn't know that stat that the Vikings haven't been above 500 at any point uh, in a season for two years now when Vikings brass needs to decide whether to bring back Mike Zimmer. Um, that inconsistency has to be, um, you know, put into the equation. Yeah, I mean, you were the team that kind of floated below Green Bay for so long, and I think that the acid test for any team, any coach in the NFC North, is beating Green Bay, beating Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, Zimmer's had a couple moments here and there, but uh, you're right. Like, we've drawn entertainment from how close they hover to 500, how most of their games come down to the very end, but they've never really morphed into dominance. They've never really become that team. And I, it just feels like the end of the road for Zimmer because of the amount of frustrating games. I, I kind of drew interest from that Bill Parcells book that he shared with, with, this, with the announcing crew at the end where like Parcells gave him a couple different tips about what it's like to be a coach. And if you aren't cut out for this, it's going to be real rough. The first two were no party, but the third one was it's just lonely. And sometimes when I look at Zimmer, it just it does seem like you're trapped in a strange place as this Vikings coach. And I don't know how you really argue bringing him back for another year because I can't think of a team that has so many interesting parts but feels in need of a refresh in certain areas. But don't bring back – don't get rid of Zimmer and then keep Kirk Cousins around because I don't care who you bring in. I don't know. Maybe I'm more a pro-Zimmer guy than other people, but, like, yeah. don't tell me that Mike Zimmer is the problem because I think ultimately Cousins bears a huge responsibility – that they've been middling ever since the Minneapolis miracle. They're an up and down operation. Cousins is an up and down quarterback. And it feels like to me, if you want to do a little quick postmortem here, that that's as big an issue as any head coach malaise that they have. He's not on the field in this game because he didn't get vaccinated. He he must have slipped out of the cube. That's a problem. It's a a (laughs) tough one. It's like, (laughs) 
It was just like <laughs> such a boring way for this to end, but almost so predictable. I mean, if you had said this before the season that Cousins gets COVID before they get hammered in week 17 on Sunday night football for the Packers to get the one seed, it's just like too predictable. And right. it's a, t- it's a really tough one, Dan, because I, you know, I want to argue with you in terms of like Cousins versus Zimmer, but I think the answer is they're just, they're similar. You know, they're they're both a little better than average, actually. I, and that's why it's tough. I think Cousins is a little is ahead of the Dalton line. I and I think that. Zimmer is ahead of the Dalton line for coaches. And yet it's so obvious that the two of them together in three out of the last four years have, have been underwhelming, haven't gotten their over-under win total, which is just a kind of a good way to look at, like, expectations. And, and it needs to change. And Spielman, who runs the show, really, precedes Zimmer by... I think five or six years. So he's been there for 15 years. So it's, it's a, it's a tough one because there's no easy answers. My guess would be you, you do blow it up in that, in that, yeah, cousins has is a tradable piece in that if you, if you get stuck with cousins with the new coach, you can live with that, but you kind of go into the off season seeing what a new coach or new GM wants to do with him. And I feel like cousins actually is pretty, pretty darn movable. Zimmer and his three years before cousins is there. You know, I don't know. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm just saying. I think I think he's <laughs> Give Matt Lafleur coach of the year. I, by the way, I think, I think that Zimmer was an above average coach, uh, maybe a little bit more than that. Then Cousins comes in, and all of a sudden, that Cousins mediocrity is draped over everything. And also, and I don't want to hear it. The in deep, tw- yeah. I, I don't want to hear it on Twitter. People are like, oh, don't say that Cousins. You know, he got COVID because he's unvaccinated. I know everyone's getting COVID now. I understand that, but that hung over this team the whole season. The fact that he was the starting quarterback unvaccinated and it did come and get them in a big spot here with the season on the line. So it is what it is. I think LaFleur and, and Rogers might have um cemented their trophies. Now Vrabel might get coach of the year, I think has has a good chance. But LaFleur, man, I think he might get a lifetime achievement for that thirteen, you know, the thirteen hmm. wins, three straight years. And I think he deserves it. And 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 I know Burrow is the fun pick, and he might put up some numbers next week, but I, I still would give it to Rodgers or it's even Rogers. Cup. I would actually give it to Cup maybe um, over over if I had to vote. But you, you like a three-pack, but you can't, so I'd give it I mean, to Rodgers. To Dan's point, that's the third time in his career that he's thrown 500-plus attempts with four or fewer interceptions. He is the MVP, and to top what happened last year, I you know I, I would want to dock him a few points for – um, you know, six months of absurd off-season drama, but that that's gone at this point. He is the best player on the best team in football right now. I wonder if the because it's such a it seems like a closer race this year. I wonder if him not play and he's not going to play next week against the Lions for several reasons. Um, but that inability to pat, pat his stats and get up to thirty-eight, thirty-nine, forty touchdowns. You know whether voters will hold that against them even subconsciously because thirty-five touchdowns in twenty twenty-one doesn't jump out at you like it did maybe 10, 15, 20 now, years ago. I think he won, for me at least, he won it, my theoretical vote in the first eight to 10 games when he was managing those games almost like he was the coach. Like the, even when the numbers weren't popping off, he did the necessary plays to win in each one of those weeks. And like he like calculates risks and avoids mistakes. So and was like making up for the guys that weren't gone. It was a, it was a great season. All right, let's spin forward. Okay, so the Eagles did, they clinch a playoff spot in the NFC. Uh, with the Vikings loss and the Packers win. So the Eagles are officially in Uh, the schedule for week 18. uh, They dropped it. Chiefs, Broncos uh, and Cowboys Eagles will play on Saturday. 
the Sunday night game as it should be is Chargers versus Raiders, which is most likely going to be a win and end game. So the playoffs start early. Uh, any other final thoughts, gentlemen, before we say goodbye? Hmm. The Eagles will probably rest their starters in that game, but I, they were in a tough spot, the NFL, because they wanted to keep all the – I was thinking of it. There's a lot to consider there. They're playing the AFC East games all at the same time in the afternoon. They're playing the – in the Sunday afternoon, that is, the NFC West games at the same time Sunday afternoon, and the NF, and the Saints are being moved to the afternoon to that NFC wildcard spot. So basically the Sunday morning is all but dead. Uh, and so they had, it was tricky. There wasn't any perfect choice, but I, I would guess the Eagles are probably going to rest their starters. They're almost certainly going to play the Bucks, or there's a very high percentage chance that it's Eagles at Bucks almost no matter what happens. I think 17. Chiefs 40, Broncos uh, 7 will be a, a real <laughs> juicy piece of fruit to dig your teeth into on well, Saturday afternoon. Too. At least that game has meaning, but you're right. It, uh, it's not much of a game. And one last note, uh, we watched the Vikings tonight. The most f- famous Vikings loss of the last 30 years uh, came at the hands of the Atlanta Falcons in the 1998 NFC Championship game. The head coach of that Falcons team was Dan Reeves, who appeared in nine Super Bowls, nine as a player, assistant coach, head coach. He died at his home in Atlanta on Saturday. He was 77 years old. Um, Reeves, you know, this comes right on the heels of John Madden. And this is another guy like he's the face of an entire generation of football. He came into the league with the Cowboys and had a great playing career, went into coaching, had that great run with the Broncos, obviously, that produced multiple Super Bowl appearances, um, went to Atlanta, well, went to the Giants, had some success there uh, in the post-Parcells uh, era of that franchise, then, of course, went to Atlanta and got them to one of the more unlikely Super Bowl, uh, making them one of the more unlikely Super Bowl teams ever, 200 wins in his NFL coaching career, including the postseason. One of only nine coaches in NFL history with 200 wins. Rest in peace, Dan Reeves. Yeah, I mean, Dan Reeves, I'll say one quick thing. Like, when I became a football fan, he was paired at the hip with John Elway as I watched the drive, the fumble, and then two years later, a third AFC title game against Cleveland and in a blowout. And I was like, I really want to dislike this guy more. But he's not he's likable and there's something about him that kind of seemed to come from a different world of coach classy coach behavior. So I think he was just as about as well liked around the league as possible by players and the people that coached with him. Dan Reeves. Okay. Thank you for listening. We're grinding through it. The whole world's grinding right now. We'll be back on Tuesday (laughs) uh, with another edition of around the NFL. So make sure you're there for that as we begin to look ahead towards an unprecedented event in the history of our league, Week 18. Buckle up, baby. All right. You excited, Mark? I am. You, uh, you, you know, you, you forgot that, uh, that big Week 18 back in 1993 when they had a couple bye weeks. Remember that? That was a fun time. <sighs> Damn it. Yeah, but that that also that's different. That was two weeks off for every team, and probably week off, you know, weeks like off for various. Good little uh, so. nugget there in a big spot there, Greg. I deserve to be corrected there, and you did it. I was gonna I hold go off there. if you just powered through, but then no, you know, no, that's good. I think it's important that we gave the uh, listeners the correct information. This is not unprecedented. Week 18's back, baby, with a vengeance. <laughs> All right, this is Dan Hansis signing off for the old boss, the Quiet Storm. The Grave Digger taking shots. 
behind that bulletproof glass. That's what the Titans are all about, is that fan base coming after everybody now. And Ricky Hollywood. Until Tuesday, heat the call.